The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Glad to have you here with us. I'm Veda. I work at Palladio Garden in Memphis, Tennessee. Yes, you do, Miss Veda, and I'm Kenneth Mabry, and I work at Dan West Garden Centers. And he's Jim Crowder, oh, and yeah. he works... <laughs> All over. He does. I don't work. He works works in the yard. Yeah. I do. He works on keeping his sweet wife happy. Did did some work last this week in the yard. In the yard? In the yard and sprudent. (laughs) It'll be one of those mornings. (laughs) Let me see your fingernails. I want to see see if he was working in the garden. There's no dirt up under there. I cleaned them all out this morning. Making sure. Are you checking to see if he was working in the yard? Yeah, I was going to check his fingernails, but they're all clean, so I don't know. know Well, maybe he's just a a good person that cleans up his nails after he gardens. I try to, yeah. (laughs) Well, one thing that was good this morning, Mm -hmm. um, traffic was pretty light, but I didn't see any frost on the I windshield. Had frost yeah, on I mine. had frost on my windshield. You did? Mm. Yeah. Ah. That's because you're parked in the garage. No. <laughs> well, I'm, yeah, Gina's car was. No, it was patchy, and I figured it would because the winds stayed up some. Thank goodness. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, further north, I think, they, they, you know, even over in the Missouri Boot Hill and northwest Arkansas, they like they got a hard freeze mm. this morning. Yeah, and then if you were mm. in the city or the Midtown area, I don't think it would have dropped as low as it does in no. the outskirts. I mean, look at this weather, though. I mean, mm-hmm. it has been, and of course, you know, the weather has been the topic of the week. Um, you yeah, know, Easter's coming up a week from tomorrow, and you know people like to get everything spruced up, but like they say, give it a minute. You know, tomorrow, what, almost 80 degrees? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it is going to be quite toasty. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, upper this Upper 30s is... next Friday night, probably. I know. See, no, we're, it's uh, not. It's got to be. It's Easter weekend. <laughs> it has to be chilly. Mm, well, but I was glad is. to see it just wasn't a blanket of frost out there this morning. Right. And like Jim and y'all saw, y'all saw a little bit of patchy frost yeah. out there. But, you know, with the wind, like you said, Jim, mm-hmm. I mean, I think it could have been worse than, you know, yeah. what it could have been. I, I put all of our racks of color in the greenhouse or in the building, actually. <laughs> we just rolled them all in the building. Do you know, better safe than sorry. But the well, I did it yesterday morning because the wind was so intense. Oh, I mean, no. it was blowing the flats off the racks. So I just said, you know, let's forget about it. Put the ferns in the greenhouse, all the flowers oh, yeah. in the greenhouse. Oh, yeah. they, in the gra- they were not in the ground to be able to keep pulling enough moisture. They're <laughs> just in those little pots. And what about all these fruit trees that were blooming, guys? Do you think we made it through okay last night? Uh, you know, because... You know, no bloom, no pollination, mm-hmm. no pollination, no fruit, right? right? So maybe they didn't suffer as much as, like I said, without yeah. a heavy frost on them. Maybe they were made it okay. Maybe. Could be. Cherries, because yeah, they're in full bloom. Mm. Um, but I haven't seen an apple here to see how far it's along. Yeah. But typically the cherries bloom just a little bit before them. So True no, we just we'll just have to wait and see. Because yeah. I saw see a if crab. the hydrangea just caught any. Oh yeah, that's true. But I'm gonna tell you what, driving you know from work to home. I mean, spring is a beautiful time in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm telling you, when those uh, you know the azaleas are just now starting to pop a little bit, mm-hmm. but the dogwoods are really starting to come around. And, and I saw crab apples. Yeah, yeah, crab beautiful. Yeah, and cherries like gems. I mean, there's a lot of things still to bloom. Of course, well, it's yeah. just now starting, but. To me, when the dogwoods start blooming, then I really, really start thinking about spring, you know? Yeah, spring zone. But isn't there a 
there's a um, folklore, maybe, or could be true now, that pecan trees, you don't do anything until you start seeing the pecan trees leaf out. And then that means They're everything's like over. The last thing to sprout, too. Okay, so that that's probably yeah. it. Yeah. Since Those, it's the last uh, thing. Calicarpa are late coming mm-hmm. out always. Um, Buttonbush, another one that, mm-hmm. you know, right now doesn't have any signs of life on it, but... The um, hardy hibiscus. Oh, yeah. yeah. They're, they're late. So, you know, number of, you know, if you see them up, then you're, you're pretty sure that it's over. In fact, it's probably near to June. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, and the reason I brought up the dogwoods, it's not really so much as a harbinger is time to start planting things. Maybe it is. Maybe it mm-hmm. isn't, depending on the weather. But it just makes me think that, okay, we're getting into the spring session mm-hmm. uh, here in Memphis, Tennessee, when I start seeing these dogwoods bloom. But also, I had a gentleman come into the garden center. I even wrote it down on my notes this morning. Uh, dogwoods. And what is the proper way to plant a dogwood? Because this gentleman came in and he said he had purchased a dogwood last year. And, of course, it didn't make it through the first growing season. Okay, Of course. No. So I said, listen, typically when you plant a dogwood and it, it dies, especially that first year. You killed it. You killed mm-hmm. it. Nine times, I didn't say it like that, Jim. I was much nicer. Nine times out of ten, it is a root-related problem, okay? And that's usually from too much water or inadequate drainage or too dry. Mm-hmm. And he said, I said, now, first of all, you want to plant it the right way. And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, you typically would dig the hole just as deep as the root ball, at least two times as wide. You want to go wider than you do deep. And then you really amend that soil. Add some soil conditioner, uh, compost. That enlighten or soil perfecter yes. that's got the shell in it. They did. Yeah. He was kind of looking at me like with glazy eyes, mm-hmm. like, okay, hadn't done any of this. So he, you know, I said, just work that soil really good. Set that uh, dogwood root ball into the hole, of course, and put that good dirt back around it. But you always, always, always want to have about an inch or two of that root ball sticking up out of the ground and then lightly kind of berm up to it. And then I said, once you do that, you, you planted it right, okay? That's just the beginning. Now, as far as the water, here's where he admitted something. I said, now, you go out there and you soak the root ball after you plant this dogwood. And I said, but you kind of let it air out before you soak it again. And he was like, oh. I said, what do you mean? He said, well... Are you one of those that go out there every day with the hose? And he said, yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and people kill it with tender love and mm-hmm. care. And so I, I could said, see him doing that in the summer. Yeah, well, no. But you shouldn't plant one in the summer. But I can see him trying to water it every day in people the summer. People think that it's a new plant, it's a new tree, that you have to soak this thing every day. Mm-hmm. And some trees, like dogwoods, will not tolerate wet feet. They just won't do it. Mm-hmm. So there again, people kill them with tender love and care, right? So he, I got him, you know, he got another dogwood, and I said, now I want to hear back from you. You know, yeah. I said, you plant it the right way, and you water the right way, and you'll be fine, because there's a misnomer out there that dogwoods are hard to grow. Mm-hmm. They're really not. See, I've wondered why that, I was just thinking that as you were talking about it. I'm, I'm thinking, okay, there's a lot of shrubs that don't like wet feet. There are a lot of trees that don't like wet feet. So why is it making, why are we failing with the dogwoods? Because it's the similar same prep as a lot of the shrubs that don't like wet feet. Roses don't like wet feet. What do you think it is that we're killing the dogwoods for? There again, they're, they're not, they don't, they have inadequate drainage or they're not creating drainage. And at the same time, they're grossly overwatering these dogwoods. 
Now, I'm not, you know, I don't want to mislead anybody. You have to water, especially that first summer when it gets hot and dry. Yeah. You've got to water. But well, the best way to water is to soak it, let it air out before you come mm-hmm. back and soak it again. So does a uh, dogwood need better soil prep than, say, a boxwood? No. But everybody's scared of planting a dogwood, but the boxwood needs the same soil prep. Yeah. Well, part of the, with, do, with dogwoods also is placement. You know, um, if you look at dogwoods growing in the wild, the ones you see that are massive in bloom are right at the edge of the of the woodland. Mm-hmm. All right? And that's the reason because sun's hitting them. Mm-hmm. Sun kind of stresses them out, uh, but it makes them bloom more. And here we have, because we live in a, an area that's a transition zone where our soil freezes and thaws repeatedly. Yeah. Instead of where dogwoods grow where the ground freezes and then just, you know, later mm-hmm. on thaws and that doesn't go through that repeated. Because of the thing. more shade they're in, Jim? Well, it, it's because of our soil temperature. Now, what happens is when we get a, a warm spell here, they the sap's beginning to rise in that plant. Which we've had already right. this year two or three times. The sap has to get to the, the buds from the root system before it'll produce any foliage or flowers. Yeah. All right, so it has raised sap up in there, and then suddenly we get a morning that's like 26 degrees. The sun comes up, and if it hits that papery bark on a dogwood, you know, they don't form cork until they get to get about older. seven years old yeah. or so. But if it hits that, what happens, that side that the sun hit expands, and you'll get a little crack, a hairline crack in there, because one side's frozen and one side is in the full sun. And we talked about this a few shows back, where the difference in temperature between the sunny side and the shady side can be as much as 75, 77 degrees. Which is crazy to me. Right. So you get that split. Now, it's got carbohydrates that have already moved up into the plant. Mm -hmm. So it leaves out, it flowers out, it just looks great. And then along about June or so, when it really needs to move food down to the roots and water up to the foliage, that tissue's been disrupted and it can't do it. So as it begins to deplete that, you see a piece of it die out, or the whole thing just go bass backwards. So it's the, on de- you. the delayed death, if you will. That's right. You know, so you know, along about July, you know, mm-hmm. the wife's going, "What did you do to my dogwood?" Yeah, yeah. I saw you out there. I yeah. bet you hit it with the lawnmower. You never have like mm-hmm. that tree, right? So, <laughs> so, so I mean, you've heard that before. That's so, here. That's because of where we live in this transition zone. That happens to a number. Japanese maples here mm-hmm. are real susceptible to that. And we don't think about it being winter damage right. when it plant doesn't die until you know, winter, until yeah. stress yeah. until summer. Yeah. So, huh? So that would be one of the big reasons why we have a hard time with doing the dogwoods. Right. Okay. People want to put them right out in the sun. Right yeah. out in the sun. And we All need right. to take a break, don't we? Yeah, we do. I thought so. I felt somebody looking at the back of my I neck. I know. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah, tune in. For after the break, two six zero five nine two six is who you can call. Two six zero five nine two six. You're listening to KWAM Radio. <laughs> good morning, good morning, we and go. welcome <laughs> to Mid South Gardening. I know I was like my lips are moving. 
but my brain hears nothing. And I'm like, well, that's That's normal. (laughs) You said, thank you for thinking that's weird. Sounds normal to me. But if you want to give us a call this morning, 260-5926, 260-5926, or you can go to the Monday 990 Facebook page and shoot us a text. Anytime you want to go to kwamradio.com and tune in live. And I'm sure you didn't see it this week, Kenneth, but I went to the Dixon on Tuesday and posted a whole lot of pictures of the tulip display. I've been wanting to get over there. You need to. It is absolutely spectacular. And, of course, Mm -hmm. it's free to get in. I've uh, got to go. Through 2004. So, um, yeah, it uh, it really is just and absolutely planted, spectacular. planted, what, a couple hundred thousand yeah, bulbs about, over about there? a quarter million tulips, mm-hmm. yeah. And yeah. it's... Uh, it's Did you wear way, your, your wooden clogs and you saw the little <laughs> windmill and the whole thing or what? Yeah. No, it's, My yeah. God. They were sending... Uh, some clients were... Customers were coming in and showing me pictures. They had just left the Botanic Garden. Yeah. And great photo opportunity. They have two small children and there was just such a great photos of them in with all the tulips. Mm-hmm. And if someone, if I did not know that all that was at the Dixon, I would have truly thought they were in Holland. Yeah. Because it really looks like the fields of um, tulips in and, Holland. And the beautiful thing is, like Jim just said, uh, this free admission through 2024. So no reason mm-hmm. not to go. Yeah. You know, and, and Jan Farmer, she texted in and said, wake up, wake up. Time to get dirt up under your fingernails. <laughs> you hear well, that, Jim? Yeah. You know the day's gonna be good for that. I mean, it doesn't seem like it since the way it was yesterday, but it looks like we're gonna consistently go up enough to be enjoying outside. Did not jo- enjoy outside yesterday. No, the wind was just horrendous yesterday. Messed up my hair all day long. <clears throat> oh, God. I'm gonna show, show this picture to the to Kenneth and Beta here. This is this is what I consider the first. Um, real sign of spring. I have a, a yellow iris called Spirit of Memphis. Oh. And it blooms. Um, it's always the first iris to come into bloom in my garden. And I have uh, I have three or four clumps of this, and they all came into bloom on Thursday. Wow. Uh, the first flowers. Now, where so. did you get a Spirit of Memphis iris? Or uh, did you just name it yourself? No, 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 no. <laughs> I got it. We grew it when uh, I worked out at your other store in West Garden. Yeah, the Highway 64 location. That's a beautiful yep. bloom over yeah. there. Yeah, this I is agree. one that we grew, in, and that's one of the reasons I like it. It's it's a vivid yellow, but it also is uh, it's a, a very early bloomer. So, Oh, early. that would be pretty with the flocks, the um, native flocks that's mm. coming up now. You'd have yeah. that yellow I have, that I have um, dwarf flocks that you can catch in the picture with it from... So, one angle. So, Jim, is that so. like, I mean, that look to me almost looks like a bearded iris. It is bearded iris. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and how long do you leave your, how long can do you, how long can <laughs> you leave the bearded iris in that bed the way they are before you have to dig them up and divide them? Uh, I mean, five three or to years? five years. Okay. Yeah, uh. it depends on the, the vigor. I split this one um, two years ago and made four clumps out of it. Did it take uh, an extra year to bloom? Did they just no. kind of sit there? They bloomed immediately bloomed after. Bloomed immediately, well, not, yeah. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> when I did landscaping um, garden maintenance and clients would say, well, I have an iris bed that I need cleaned out and worked on. And I'm saying, oh, I'm full. I don't have time. I don't like <laughs> cleaning those iris beds out. Cleaning them, dividing them, the little corms, got to cut the cells got to balance the corms in the ground so they don't fall over. It's so much time. <laughs> Jim's looking at me like, 
I just well, dug it up, took a that, shovel, split it in four parts, and put it back in the ground. Well, it sounds take, so easy. But you if know? it's like this iris bed where you go out and the it's iris like, bed is five by eight, and you've got to do all that. are different that. type gardeners. You know, I'm, I'm kind of the, the shade tree mechanic, and she's more of the uh, Martha Stewart type, <laughs> you know. She, when she divides hosta, she has a, 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 a sterling silver tray that mm-hmm. oh, yeah. she yeah. cuts on, you yeah. know. And, and a nice Very knob, sharp, and a nice, sharp Yeah, knife. steak knife, yeah. you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> got everything laid out perfectly. <laughs> Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, but that's such a bit, a lot of work. It is. It it's is. in that whole iris bed. And it, and it makes me think of, you know, when I hear what Jim just said, it always makes me think of the Jim and Jim show. When they did a garden show, Jim Crowder here to my left and Jim Brown. Yeah. I uh, did a garden show, you know, 100 years ago uh, well, here in Memphis. You. I know. And, and <laughs> you know, the, one of the arguments was always the best way to cut back monkey grass, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And Jim Crowder to my left here would say, get a bush hog, a lawnmower, <laughs> a, a weed eater, whatever. Just cut the stuff back, you know? Go back in the house and watch football. Yeah. And, and, and Jim Brown was like, no, 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 no. Get a nice, sharp pair of, you know, of gardener's scissors. Silver. Silver. <laughs> and, and go out there and, and, and snip them almost a blade at a time. And by the end of the year, you will get done. Uh-huh. You know? and yeah. It was just, it, it makes me laugh every time I think about there are different ways to do things, well, right? Wait, wasn't he snipping them because the new growth had already started nope. coming out? Nope, that, that would be a reason to yeah. do that, maybe. But no, he's somebody just cutting oh. it back in the early spring. Oh, no. He oh, didn't oh, want oh, the no. ragged edges on even the old foliage. Yeah. Okay. I have never noticed that happen in ragged edges on well, old foliage. Well, because it usually is getting hit by the yeah, new growth. The new My growth. eyesight's not good enough to see. Yeah, right. so I'm not yeah. And if you're laying on the <laughs> ground seeing it, you didn't mean to be on the ground. Yeah. Had a uh, couple customers, and, and somebody's getting the word out, which I think is great, okay? Mm-hmm. Had a couple customers come into the garden center this week, and they said, Kenny, I didn't see them, but somebody saw them. Or they said they saw leaf miner flying around my boxwoods this time of year. You know, the adults mm-hmm. flying around getting yeah. ready to lay the eggs. And I said, great, somebody is paying attention, you know? Because we all know that leaf miner can be a pretty darn big problem when it comes to our boxwoods. And it, can, it won't really kill the boxwood, but it can make them look horrible when it comes to their foliage. So if you see these balloon-like leaves and you know brown little holes all in the leaves and disformation, it looks like a mole tunnel mm-hmm. cutting through your leaf, that's probably a leaf miner on your boxwood. Um, so be aware, they're out there, the adults are laying eggs, of course, now. Uh, and typically what I would tell people to do, just normal maintenance, really, on boxwoods, is to either go out there and spray these things with a good systemic insecticide, or you can get the tree and shrub insect drench that you mix and pour on the root system. Uh, the spray uh, would be something like imidacloprid, you know, or the acephate, uh, but it does a really good job in, in getting rid of these, these leaf miner and the leaf miner larva that gets actually in between the, the tissue of the leaf. Um, so Yeah, that's yucky. Yeah, yeah, there's so many can get in there, and if the leaf's bow, bro, bowing up, you can actually cut the leaf. And, and find look in there and the see the little green miners. in there. But you got to yeah. get rid of these leaf miners. And, and using a systemic, uh, either, like I said, a systemic insecticide that you spray on or a systemic drench that you pour around the boxwood. But I'd also take it a step further. You also want to make sure you keep your boxwood as healthy as you can. And that's going back to good drainage. Like you were saying mm-hmm. a while ago, Veda, they hate wet feet. Uh, maybe put a little lime around them this time of year. Uh, maybe put a good heavy dose of plant tone and milorganite around them. 
uh, this time of year. That's just normal maintenance on on boxwoods, okay? Yeah, yeah. So that, if you're doing your normal maintenance, and of course, draining really well. Mm-hmm. Is good, and then also the way that you prune your boxwoods a lot of times can affect their health, can stress them to some point, which then makes it easier for the insect to live on the boxwood. But but leaf miner is I'm telling you, if you get a boxwood full of leaf miner, you'll take note and you'll do everything you can to keep that from happening because it makes them look horrible. And then another thing is we see so many times where people grossly over mulch their boxwoods, and I'm not. You know, I, it's not. I hate mulch at all. I love mulch. I think it looks great and it does all the right things. But there are some things like Japanese maples, for example, and boxwoods that are very shallow rooted. They don't want this big, heavy layer of mulch around their boxwoods. And so many times, people aren't doing their own mulch. They're having somebody do it for them. And they're dumping five, six inches of mulch mm-hmm. out there in these beds around these so boxwoods. So that's definitely a big stressor. No, not a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some boxwoods just sitting out and baking full sun, that can stress them as well. And Now, uh, some of them can take yeah, full some. sun, but yeah. the old-fashioned American boxwood, you'll see those out there just blazing mm-hmm. also. You know, Does the American, uh, does all boxwoods get leaf miner? Some are more... Except for the ones that are well, yeah. planted I mean, in some the proper are, condition. Some are more susceptible than others, but they all have the ability to get leaf miner, yeah. yes. So we've got all kinds of issues with boxwoods. And then you were talking about the uh, adults flying around. That's the adults laying the eggs this time of year. Go ahead and kill them, too. <laughs> You're listening to KWAM Radio. Be right back. morning and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. We're glad to be wha- whacking with you yeah, this we're morning. Around. We do all kinds of fun things up here. Maybe you shouldn't have said we do that, but um, anyway, the Coosa Dogwood. No, first the Leaf Miner adult. The ones that are flying yeah. around like little flies. I mean, how did he see that? They're so They were tiny. like a cloud of these okay. gnat-like, fly-like things flying around the boxwoods, and they could actually see them. That's how many, mm-hmm. that's, that's how no, numerous that's they lot, were. Yes. Then, yeah. So, so they're flying around going, hmm, is me, this boxwood stressing? Because you know it's hard for insects to live on a plant, because everything puts off energy. Yes. And so when you're really healthy, the plant or people, you've got energy. And it's, so it's hard for bad things to live in a place where there's energy going on. So and if the plant has a lot of energy, that means it's really healthy. So it's harder for the insect to And become. you're listening to Mid-South Holistic Gardening. Yes. It's harder for the plant <laughs> or harder for the insects to really engulf the plant and take it over. That's why I or said, it may keep them at a smaller number or totally resist them. I agree. That's why I said a while ago, don't stop it just spraying your boxwoods. You know, put a little lime around them because they want that mm-hmm. higher pH. Make sure you feed them really good at least once as, you know, every year in the spring. Light mulch, not a heavy layer of mulch, good drainage. You know, though, mm-hmm. all those things you'll have healthier boxwoods. And like Veda's just saying, the healthier the boxwoods, the less, in- less, the less, mm-hmm, the less. insect uh, or disease problems you're going to have. Mm-hmm. And I got a funny, Louise Taylor texted in. She said, good morning from Oakland. I had a great educational herb walk with uh, Emily in Fayette County last Saturday, Kenneth. 
of the more than 22 herbs Emily covered in her yard and woods, there was only one that she took the torch to, and that was the burrweed. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to ask. Well, I think they're calling... Herbs? Yeah, what Weeds. I call a weed, herbs. Okay. Yeah, just a moment ago, we were talking about this off the air. And Louise, and, that's funny. And I said, yeah. you know, an herb technically is anything that doesn't have a woody stem. And, and they both said, what about rosemary? Well, okay, here's the thing. There are herb, the word herb is used for two different things. If it's something that's used to flavor or cook food, that's an herb, but it can be anything. Including okay. a weed. It can be leaves. A it can tree. be stems, what I call weeds. It yeah. can be roots. But from a botanical viewpoint, the, uh, the herb is anything that does not have a woody stem mm. that flowers and then dies immediately afterwards. So what is the largest herb? That it flowers probably, and dies no, immediately afterwards? I think afterwards. it's like a, some type of tree. It's a banana. Banana, banana is, is the the technically herb. the largest herb. So it hmm. does not have a woody stem. It dies after mm-hmm. after flowering and setting seed. Hmm. I don't know. I know you know, it's all quiet. I'm thinking this through. Yeah, because there's like... Um, You're sitting there going, I don't believe a word <laughs> in this No, it's got merit. Well, you know, how about the Hetzai junipers that's got the blueberries, the juniper berries? That is an herb as well. That's because a flavor, you can, but that's not an herb as a botanical. It's a flavor. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's got a lot of medicinal properties. So is it a medicinal herb versus an edible herb? And maybe medicinal medicinal herbs are more woody. But maybe that's why when Louise and Emily were making their walk, uh-huh. They and they only, the only herb they killed was the burrweed, which is a weed. Mm-hmm. Maybe all these other little herbs they were seeing is what I would call a, a weed. weed. Yeah, because remember we <laughs> were talking yard, about obviously. that. In my yard, yeah, yeah. When we were talking about this last weekend, where I was given mm. a, a list of the herbs that you or weeds that you can eat, and weeds are herbs. We just have always seen them as weeds because um, when they were growing in the yard. They were a weed because they were in the wrong spot. So then, therefore, we came up with things to kill our herbs in the lawn. And then all of a sudden, we're like, oh, these are weeds. They're not herbs. Well, but now we're it, learning. What do you call it an herb or a wildflower? If it's not, mm-hmm. if it's grown where it doesn't belong, I'm going to call it a weed and I'm going to get Just rid like of it. your tree is a weed. It is because a weed in my front yard. growing in the wrong <laughs> place. <laughs> uh, Judy Wood also texted in. She said, good morning, everybody. What's a good control for aphids on tomato plants? And uh, what about stink bugs on tomato plants this summer? Great question because you could definitely get both on your tomato plants. But there's so many... As Jim and Betty, y'all know now, there are so many really good, safe, broad-spectrum insecticides on the market now. Um, I think, Jim, you had mentioned spinosad. Yeah, if you wanted to stay with something that's organic, spinosad would be a real good choice. Uh, and spinosad is a bacterium, I think they found mm-hmm. in a rum distillery in yep. Cuba, I think. Is that right? right? Yeah. In, in the Caribbean. Caribbean. In the Caribbean, yeah, okay. Well, it's cheap. But it's a very safe product to use, very <clears throat> broad spectrum, completely organic. And then, of course, there's your per- permethrins. Uh, the permethrin family is probably what took over the malathons and the dazlons and all these other insecticides that we used to spray. And a permethrin is a man-made synthetic pyrethroid, correct? But it's very, very safe to use. And it's not completely organic, but... It seems like we sell more permethroids than we do mm-hmm. anything as far as just general genetic 
and it's safer than the pyrethroid or pyrethrins if you were to buy those. They are about twice as toxic to humans as melathion is. Yeah. So they're not safe, you know. They were used uh, extensively in for fishing in the uh, in South America. They would grind up pyrethrin in uh, which is all natural. Right, and put it in the water, and it takes the oxygen out, and then they come to the surface. The fish do. It's <laughs> yeah. a fun way to fish right there, y'all. <laughs> so either, um, uh, Judy, either the spinosad, uh, which you can buy in concentrated form, ready to use, ready to spray, a lot of different ways you can buy it, uh, or their permethrin, and, and the most common name for that is just eight, E-I-G-H-T, yeah. just like the number eight, and that is a permethrin product, but very simple And that was a play on seven. Yes. But, you know, seven was not the number seven. It was S-E-V-I-N. Yeah. But everybody calls it seven dust. Yeah, yeah. So, and then seven. Rotenone is the other chemical. Oh, I, I forgot about the I don't rotenone. know if you can buy rotenone no, anymore. I haven't yeah. seen that. That's another one that was used in for fishing, too. So, yeah. Uh, Wait. Wrote known was used for fishing. They would yeah. dump it in the water yeah. and just make the fish come oh, floating yeah, to the let's surface. Just dump it in the water. Like I said, it's an easy way to fish. <laughs> yeah. Right. I guess you. Well, that's no fun. I like the whole fishing thing. Well, I'd rather Going get... shopping for the fishing rod, the bait, the All colorful right. bait. We're talking about up in the Brazilian jungles, okay? You can't <laughs> run to your bass pro shop, okay? Mm, and a, you got yeah. to eat. Your family has to eat. So. I'm totally going to throw some stuff in the yeah. water and make those fish float. Yes, yeah, she is. <laughs> and then you've always seen the ones where they get the stick of dynamite, light it, throw it in the water, it blows up, and all the fish come floating up also. That's another way to go fishing, I guess, right? I think it damages their eardrums <laughs> because it's so loud that it makes them dizzy and they float to the top and can't breathe. So there you go. So um, now we've analyzed the fish issue. <gasps> Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, so this one was, I was trying to find the answer to this, and so I text Jim. I did. <laughs> I checked this out. I checked that out. I found two different informations. I mean, was I busy or what? No, you were busy. <laughs> Getting in touch with it's, you. It's just, impossible. Yeah. It's like, you know. But this is one of Jim's forte, and it is... Do do koi, I do koi blink. Do now, they blink? Would, well, who would even want to know? That? I somehow that was brought up in a conversation at work that koi don't blink, and I'm going, well, you have to blink. But I asked Jim, and Jim's like, no, koi don't blink. And I was like, wow, I wasn't not expecting that answer. They don't have eyelids, so they can't blink. Yeah. Okay, but I learned something new fish, every morning. Do any fish have eyelids? Some have uh, a translucent cover, I think, that mm-hmm. can go over their eye. Um, but it's, uh, it's, I don't think it's that common. So that fish that was winking at me maybe not have been a fish. Mm-hmm. Could have been a little <laughs> snap. No, there was no fish winking at me. Yeah, so there. They don't have eyelids. That's funny. But that was just a weird uh, question that I had to find out. And Jim was the one because he loves koi. Yeah. Does a lot of water garden. Now, do you still have your koi in your fountain? Oh, in my pond. In your pond. Mm -hmm. And and this weather has no effect at all? No. In fact, this this week, um, on Wednesday or Thursday, they actually could tell they wanted to feed. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I when I, it's right inside the secret garden where I feed them just 
right there at the gate. And so when that gate opens, you can see them from the other end of the pond, about 30 feet away, start swimming down there to where I feed them. Unbelievable. And have you fed them at all? I did feed them a little bit there to see how they did. But I mean, but not through the winter months. No, no. uh, Right. Yeah. Don't feed in the winter. Yeah. And we'll come back and tell you why. After the break, and give us a call, 2605-926. You're listening to... I am to such an interesting fellow. KWAM Radio. <laughs> Come back and listen to our interesting fellow. We will be right back. You know what I'm saying? Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Give us a call, 2605-926. If you're having trouble tuning us in, you can stream us online, kwamradio.com. Mm-hmm. If you, you want to shoot us a text, go to Mighty 990 Facebook page, and there's Veda right there. I'm sitting there looking at you right now, Miss Veda. I'm waving at you. Tell your friends they can listen anywhere in the country. Yeah. And uh, you can also look at our Facebook page that Jim has started, administrator of. Uh, get lots of great information, and you can post questions on there, too. Yeah, Mid-South Gardening, yeah. So there's we're always available some kind of way. Oh, look, I see the sun coming through the window. Yeah. Could be a good day. It's going to get hot in here, then, if it's coming through the window. That's true. You know, it's like it could be 60, but if it's full sun, full sun. If it's all sunny all day, then it's 70. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) by sun. Okay, so um, we were going to tell you, oh, why not to feed koi in the winter? Okay, they don't process food well during the wintertime. Uh, and they mighty picky little fish. I'm telling you, the food moves through them very slowly, and it's real easy to get bacterial infections. And can you feed them um, breadcrumbs and things like that? You shouldn't. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're going to feed any bread, feed it as a treat, just occasionally, and only feed wheat bread. Don't use any white bread because there's actually enough. There's actually enough. Yeah, I'm hearing music. <laughs> That just means you're supposed to be singing while the music is on. So, Jim, so I mean, so you want to okay, stick it to can, the white bread can actually bleach the color out of koi. <laughs> so you, you <laughs> we know, sure don't want that. Yeah, you know, if you do it constantly, you know. I mean, how would one, how would anybody? Oh, huh? That it makes can, me think. So you of got something. this beautiful orange koi over there, or yellow, or or whatever. And you're constantly feeding this thing mm-hmm. white bread. The next thing you know, it's just this brown fish down yeah. there. You know, <laughs> well, not quite that, but it it does uh, it does it take some of the color out of. Well, but there is koi food, and you kind of stick with that. Correct? Yeah, you really want to feed a good koi food, not catfish food and yeah. things like that. <laughs> it's just not a high quality food, and you're going to end up fouling your water if you just yeah. if you're not real careful. Yeah, if you've got muddy or gross water, a lot of times it's because you overfeed your fish, and then the bi- there's not enough microorganisms in the soil to break down and all of that because you've yeah you've in the water yeah. the soil water yeah <laughs> so uh, then there's not enough of that to break down all the extra fish poop <laughs> and then uh, then your water starts becoming cloudy mm-hmm. because your balance is off. Yeah, so... Um, Make sure, too, that your food is always fresh. Um, had a case, the ladies uh, bought a house a few months back, and she uh, she called the botanic garden because she was having fish die off. Um, and so they referred her to me, and I went by her house, and uh, we finally you know, didn't take but a visit or two before we realized that she was feeding food that had been left out in a covered patio all through the winter, mm-hmm. um, and that food had soured. Um, so what she 
you know, the food was killing them. So oh, okay. we just, you know, got rid of the food, got on a fresh uh, food program, and uh, and add a little air to it to speed up some decomposition, and uh, and hadn't had a fish die since. Yeah. Unbelievable. So yeah. if you can't afford koi. You can go to Shabunkins, yep, which Shabunkins. are colorful, mm-hmm. which then I'd one day... I'd buy one day, just because of the name. Yeah. yeah. One day my mother calls me and she's like, I don't know what's going on, but my fish turned white because she's got all colorful fish. And so she's looking down over the balcony and the fish turned white. And I'm just like, no, mom's not even. I don't know what's wrong. So I went out there and the fish turned white. Uh-oh. White. <laughs> I know it's I couldn't come up with any answer for that. Oh, I one. thought you were going to give me this great answer. I don't answer. have an answer because it was so bizarre. She was probably I feeding mean, them breadcrumbs. Yeah, I probably know. feeding them. I thought bread. that, but no, I know she didn't do that. We she didn't even feed the fish because it was a small pond, small fish, and then all you know because the pond can set up balance and you don't have to feed it because they have plenty of stuff to feed on. <laughs> But with koi, it's a, a different situation. And plus, you want to feed the fish so you can see them come to the top. Oh, yeah. They get to know you, and, you know, you, you end up naming some of them mm-hmm. or all of them. And That's what people do with chickens. Yeah. And once you name yeah. them, it's, it's you a different family members. Them. I'm telling their family members. Yeah. Yep. You can eat a chicken that has a name. Chicken in the frying pan. You, know, when you, you name it. And Jan Farmer just texted in. She said, a new government study. Pay me an inordinate amount of money, and I'll sit there and observe the koi for hours oh, upon yeah. hours. Good yeah. idea, Jan, because and, you and could probably get. You could get a grant for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So oh, let's try Lordy. that. Um, oh, and one other thing I'd wanted to say about this spinosin, spinosad. You know, there's been so many different names that we called it, but it wasn't even discovered until like. 1984 time frame mm-hmm. and uh it's a natural soil bacterium that mm-hmm. seeks out the insect so that's why some sometimes you don't have to put a systemic because this is an, a, a a live product a, a live bacterium that seeks out the insect and then that's how they kill it is <laughs> they get in it and what's the word how do they do it i just lost the word don't Dry know. them out. No, they eat them. They eat their insides out. I was <laughs> trying to think of a nicer way to say that. I love that. But the, yeah, the so, the uh, in the the bacterium. Yeah, it's boy. But Can I, I mean, get another cup of coffee, please? Yeah, but I'm tell you, this is not working. It is a it is a good product. It's a yeah. great product actually. And now what they've done, you can get uh, spinosad soap. Which is a combination mm-hmm. of the spinosin and the insectocidal soap. Those are little bars. <laughs> <laughs> See, she's been like that the whole morning, Jim. <laughs> uh, Audrey Fielding, she texted in. She said, Happy Saturday, everybody. Found out you can eat dandelions, uh, dandelion roots to prevent heart disease. Mm-hmm. Any takers on this? Well, I, I, no, not for me. You know, would you? I eat? have read no, that no, that's I'm, one of the. Uh, medicinal properties of it. I definitely read that, but I'm not recommending it. Well, but I've read that it is a one of the no. But I'm but she's making a point where you know we're calling them weeds. Mm-hmm. Some people call them herbs. Okay. Yeah. Some people call them wildflowers. But just because we call it a weed in this case, like dandelion root, doesn't mean that it's not great to eat the root for a heart mm-hmm. disease. You know, it's, it's probably one of the better kept secrets right. out there, to well, be honest with you. It's like every time I would go to the doctor and they would say, you got da-da-da-da. So I would look it up and get all the proper herbs that helps fight all the symptoms it caused da-da-da. And it works. It works really well, but uh depends on what you have, you know. But 
herbs are medicinal. But you need to study them. You need to ask, talk to your doctor about it because they will m- mix with other types of medicines that may not be good. But oh, yeah, I've always had, yeah, I'm not, I've always had great results and was so surprised of all the vast array of herbs and that a tree can be an herb, a bush can be an herb. It's not just <laughs> lavender and oregano and all those because those are your edible flavoring herbs. And then Wendy Johnston texted in. She said, when should we spray our azaleas with spinosa and how often? Um, well, I mean, if, it depends on what you're spraying for. Yeah, that would be the key there. Uh, Did you say spinosa? Spinosa, yeah. yeah. Uh, if you're having anything much on the leaves uh, or the blooms, uh, whether it's a, uh, an insect uh, like a beetle or a caterpillar, uh, spinosa would do a great job. Now, you can spray, you know, mm-hmm. Proactively, you can go out there and spray as long as it doesn't rain for 24 hours. Uh, and then when you say how often, I, typically when people spray an insecticide, if, if they'll see a problem and they'll spray. Uh, and then I like to tell people, come back in about 10 days, two weeks, ideally, and spray again. And then spray any time after that as necessary. You know, on something like an azalea, you don't need to go out there like you would say roses or something and spray proactively every two weeks through the whole growing season. You just generally don't have to do that. But um, when and then you, the reason that we have to spray a number of times is because you're trying to get all of their life cycle. They have different stages. So you may kill the adult right. now, but then 10 days later, another adult could hatch. So you're spraying Usually about t- three times to kill the whole twice. generation. <laughs> but so, I mean, can you go out there and spray azaleas on a day like today? Yeah, but you typically wouldn't have to. I'd wait till I see a problem. Something's eating in the leaves. Give it a good spray and come back in about 10 days, two weeks, and spray again. All righty. You know? I guess we'll go to another break real quick. And um, But first, we're not going to go to a break real quick. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 Jan, let me just say this real quick. People are texting in. I love it. Jan said, flamingos are pink due to what they eat, like little crustaceans, you know? Yeah. I wait, wait, what are pink? Com- flamingos, pink flamingos. Yeah, pink. it's a little shrimp they eat that makes them pink. No. Yes, they're not pink unless so they if, eat that. If we didn't give them pink, that if we didn't give them the shrimp, they would not be pink. That's correct. I think you and Jan are both uh, pulling my leg. I'm gonna check that out. I Go like ahead. that. That's very interesting. So that's kind of the same thing as a blue orchid. There are they're no not blue, blue until you put some dye on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it reminds me of like the you know the blue poinsettia too. Right, right. Isn't it just not right? Or green ketchup, Veda. Yeah. I'm going to try real hard in this next hour to bring these two back into reality. <laughs> we'll be right give you back. Some good information. For Jim to do that. 260 5926. The garden help you need. Now, Mid South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning. Welcome back to the second hour of Mid-South Gardening. We're so glad you're with us this morning, and we are so glad we're with you this yeah. morning. If you want to give us a call, 260-5926, 260-5926, or the Monday 990 Facebook page. You can shoot us a text like a lot of people did this morning, or go to kwmradio.com, and you can hear us perfectly well right there, too. Mm-hmm. 
And so now I can't tell you what we want to talk about because all of a sudden I got interested in tennis shoes. Yes, you did. She's okay, looking. let me take that off the screen. <laughs> tennis shoes. We're gardening. Well, you know, those are probably good shoes for gardening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jim, you Comfortable. were. You come up here on Thursday mornings. Friday mornings. Friday mornings. Mm-hmm. And I have a sit in with uh, Tim Van Horn. Yes. And you typically will go over maybe a few things that is on your mind about a topic you might talk about the next yeah. day on the garden show. We, we like to talk about, you know, things that are happening. Of course, we you're talking about Dixon uh, and the tulip display there, mm-hmm. which is free to go see. And and also that today is the uh, second day of the spring fling at the Red Barn out at the, out at, uh, the Agri Center. So if you get a chance, go by there. Lots of vendors, lots of stuff to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a, a fundraiser for the uh, Memphis Area Master Gardeners. Uh, so if you get a chance, run out there and, and take take a look. Spring fling. Yep. Yep. Now, we hope it's going to be spring fling at the garden centers also. You know, yep. the whole week all we've been doing is just dragging stuff in and pushing it back out the next mm-hmm. day, putting it back in the night and taking it back out the next day because at a garden center, we're selling the product, okay? So you can't have it with a blemished, burnt leaf on it, mm-hmm. correct? It's not that, you know, if you left it out, it was going to actually kill the plant. That's one thing. Right. But you can even have it, you know, with it being burned. So that's why we're bringing, yeah. like y'all did, Veda, bring all the stuff in. And every night, it seems like, taking bringing something in and taking it back out the next day. You know, because if you're a new gardener, you definitely always in your mind want to make sure it's all perfect before you take it home. <laughs> because some, I've heard this before. It was kind of cute. Well, if it's perfect when I take it home, then it'll take longer to die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah, yeah. So I looked at it that way, but that's so true. But um, yeah, because you you just don't want to have the leaves on it that are burned. Um, you know, other great things like the trilliums. I'm still loving the trilliums, but now I'm wondering. Okay, because we have them in bulbs, and I did a video an Instagram on it because when I opened the package and you fill in the package. Um, uh, there, yeah, this is trillium you're talking about. Yeah, the trillium. You don't feel anything because it's all in that peat moss, yeah, or choir that cord, cord yeah. yeah, that it's in that. And you're thinking, well, I just spent eight dollars and all I've got is this. Of, there's no bag, bag. Of dirt. Yeah, there's no dirt in it. But when you dump the dirt out, there's two little corms of the trilliums, mm-hmm. and you plant those. But if I plant those now, is it going to end up being next spring before I see some action from the trillium? No, it's going to come up immediately. Okay, good. Yes. Good. I want to double check. And die down when it gets hot. Yeah. Okay. So that's what I was wondering. I knew they died down when they got hot, but I was wondering if there was enough time for them to come up or are we going to have it planted and wait for it to come up next spring? Yeah. And, you know, that's like one of those to me, one of the wildflowers that you can buy, you know, when the spring bulbs come in. You know, we're so used to seeing the gladiolus mm-hmm. and the uh, elephant ears and caladiums and, yeah. you know, those type of bulbs. But then you get into the little boxes that got the mm-hmm. trilliums and the... Cool dahlias. Yeah, and the different type. Yeah, and, the, you know, and then you get the uh, jack and the pulpit. Yeah, I was going to say that. You know, those yeah. kind of plants that we're not used to just seeing mm-hmm. on a daily basis. And a lot but of... It's- Go ahead. I'm a sorry. lot of people like uh, experimenting with those uh, type well, of bulbs. It's almost like if to get a trillium or a jack in the pulpit, you almost have to start with the bulb. And uh, be- sometimes you see them, but see that you're not going to ever see them for sale in the garden center in the summer because they're all dormant. Hey, and, and I got a text right here, and, and someone didn't tell me uh, something, Veda. <laughs> 
and that someone is over here to, on my left side. That Jim Crowder. Are you going to be presenting a program at Spring Fling today? I am not. Okay. Okay. Well, I was originally on the schedule, but okay. Because of some health reasons, I have. I got uh, you. Okay. I, I just out. I was going to say, mm-hmm. well, if he if he was, how come he didn't tell us yeah. about it? So yeah. Back when we had to make the decision, you know. Everything was all good. <clears throat> yes. Just checking, just Jim. I'm just making sure you're on your toes. So there, there it is. Spring fling this weekend. It is, isn't yes. it? Oh yeah. my goodness, Yesterday y'all! Yesterday and today, some other things that are going to be going on in the future. We want to remember. Um, of course, Memphis Botanic Garden plant sale is the 21st through the 23rd. Uh, so, you know, and then they'll have, uh, again, the following week, the, um, Saturday, April the 23rd is the Fayette Cares plant sale mm. out in Fayette County. Um, and this turned into a nice, yeah, it is. Sale. yeah, it is. And it's a good fundraiser for them. Um, in, uh, the uh, Strawberry Plains Festival, mm-hmm. the Hummingbird Festival, is a, and, well a plant sale for them. Is uh, the fall, May sixth and seventh, I think. And did you say speaking of hummingbirds? Did you tell me last week that they could already be in? The, yeah, we've had the Mid South area. Yes, coming um, through. Had a number of them. Had one spotted this just yesterday in Bartlett. Um, and I, I haven't seen one at my feeder yet, but they are they're now in Shelby County. So, okay. uh, yeah, they're here and coming. You know, there'll be more. Yeah, I have some beautiful feeders in stock. It's the glass ones. Mm-hmm. And they're so ornate and such art and beautiful, beautiful. And I'm, I'm going to get a couple for my house, but their reservoirs are s- small. You know, they're smaller, so I'm going to have to refill it more times. But, you know, some of the just plain hummingbird feeders can hold more, mm-hmm. and they're just as useful as a beautiful, ornate hummingbird feeder. I'm almost just going to have it hanging there for the beauty and the way the light's going to well, shine yeah, it's through. It's for you. It's not for the bird. Yeah, so you're <laughs> going to have to. I mean, they like it. They use it and all, but you've got to really be diligent on changing it out. But they're so beautiful. Oh, yeah, and they're and it's great to have hummingbirds around, too. They're mm-hmm. the funniest things to watch. And, like, you know, we, we, we don't have just crowds of them, just, yeah. you know, <laughs> huge numbers of hummingbirds at our feeders like i've seen before mm-hmm. i mean i've seen hundreds around mm-hmm. feeders before you know we usually have three or four and to me it's always that bully you know he's sitting on top of the feeder kind of looking around making sure the other ones don't uh-huh. get his food you know there's enough to feed a thousand of them but uh and they kind of fight each other and dive bomb each other but it's, it's i tell you it's fun to watch it there's really is there's a bully in every bunch there's a bully no matter if you're a hummingbird or a person there's a bully in every bunch but but like you said you know as far as the hummingbird feeders themselves uh it doesn't matter what feeder you know you have and what kind mm-hmm. of perch you, you or know, what the, color it no. is but but the biggest thing with the hummingbird feeder and jim and betty y'all know this is make sure that you're using and keeping the the, the sugar water fresh. Um, they don't like old, <coughs> excuse me, stale mm-hmm. um, nectar water in those feeders. <laughs> they don't. And it's funny. They'll come up there sometimes and take a little taste, and, and then they'll leave. You know, so yeah. you want to make sure you keep that stuff fresh. And that's why I don't mind using even a smaller feeder like you were talking mm-hmm. about. You know, you don't have to have a gallon of this stuff in a feeder at one yeah. time, okay? Yeah, uh, because if they're not drinking at all, uh, then it's becoming stale sooner. Yeah, you know, with weather like we've got right now, with temperatures in the 60s and 70s, you know, it'll go three days between right. changing. That's right. When you start getting into the 80s, then every other day, 
And if it's in the 90s, you really ought to be changing it every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and if, I would think if you're having to change it, if there's a lot left, maybe get a little a smaller bird feed, um, hummingbird just feeder. Just don't put as much in it. And well, then, there you go. And do y'all go out? That's easier, isn't it? Now, see, you're trying to think of a way not to spend money. Mm. I'm trying to think of a way <laughs> to spend money. And do y'all buy y'all's feeder uh, liquid, or do y'all no, make your own? I make it and yeah. and was it three part sugar? Four. Four part sugar, one part water. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's some sweet stuff right there. Yeah. You know, and, well, and there's all, you hear all the, the, the don't feed the red dye because yeah. it'll kill them. Well, that's not totally true. Um, there's no evidence that it, they kill, that any red dye kills a hummingbird, but there's no evidence that it doesn't. Yeah. So, you know, just to be on the safe side, there's really no need, doesn't need to well, be. Well, that was what I was going to say. Don't think that that water has to be red. It doesn't. Yeah. You know, they're attracted to the feeder and then, uh, they're just going to feed out of it. So, you know, it's so much, it's cheaper just to make your own. Or get clear, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and I don't even boil mine, you know. I just turn the hot water on. Uh, Gina I, boils hers for uh, sure. Yeah, yeah, I you know put a quarter. I only use a cup total when I feed, fill mine, so I use a, a put a quarter cup of sugar in there and put just a little bit of hot hot water. Yeah, get it dissolved, and they add enough water to make it cooler for them to eat All to right. drink. Man, see now. Now, you sound like Martha Stewart. Yeah, he does. Yeah. All right. We'll I, be... mean, I use a measuring cup, too. How about that? <laughs> All right. Martha Stewart at the silver-plated hummingbird feeder. Yeah. And that's really Jim Crowder over there, though, Veda. Yeah. Oh, that's right. <laughs> because you shaved your beard off, I'm confused. Yeah, I shaved my beard off because I forgot what I looked like. <laughs> and I'm uglier than I remembered. You Please. look way younger. I think I'm going to let it grow back. All right. We're going to run off to a break again, but give us a call, 260-5926, or post your question on our Facebook Live, and we'll be right back. And welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all can join us this morning. Give us a a call, 260-5926, 260-5926. Or go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page and shoot us a text. Or go to, what, kwamradio.com and listen to us anytime you want. Yesterday morning, too, we talked about uh, a little bit about fertilizer. And I want to bring that up again because, um, first, when you go to your garden center or wherever you buy fertilizer, it's going to be a little sticker shock to you. Uh, Fertilizer has gone up a lot um, with the petroleum issues and... And, and being able to ship it around the country, freights up, uh, it's uh, fertilizer is going to, you're going to see a 40 to probably 50% increase in some fertilizer. So I mean, uh, every step of processing that fertilizer, every step yeah. costs more now. That's right. Than they did a year ago. So anyway, um, it's, it's important that you, you know, use that fertilizer wisely. You know, a lot of people have the idea that, well, I put a 50-pound bag of fertilizer on my front yard every year. Yeah. Okay. But they're buying different things, so they're putting down nitrogen at a different rate. So the best way to, to use a fertilizer is most all plants need about a pound of nitrogen per 1,000 square feet every 30 days if it's a turf, mm-hmm. once a year if it's some plants. So the frequency of it is different, but 
the rate's still the same. And that's and about a pound per thousand square feet. About a pound feet. of nitrogen okay. per thousand square feet. Okay. And so if you look at something like um, uh, 6, 12, 12, let's use that one, and it typically comes in 40-pound bags. Yeah. So you take the first number, which is a 6. That's the nitrogen. Yeah. Okay. Multiply it times the weight of the bag. Okay. Which is a 50-pound bag. Right. So now we have 300. Okay. Because okay. I got you. And then add a zero on the right side. So it covers 3,000 square feet. Yeah. It works with every fertilizer. And some things... It's that, easy. And some of the things that you'll see, like... Miracle Grow has a water soluble lawn food that's about thirty percent, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it'll say on their covers up to five thousand square feet. Well, it will, but it won't <laughs> hardly know it's been fertilized. <laughs> yeah. You know, know, let's use the same formula. So if we take the thirty, yeah. multiply it times the weight of the container, five pounds, yeah. that's a hundred and fifty. Then add zero. zero. It's fifteen hundred square feet to get the same amount of nitrogen. I per gotcha. thousand square feet. Oh, what about urea? Urea is like a thirty-four zero zero. Bingo. Thirty-four. Fifty-pound bag times fifty comes up to twenty-two hundred or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't have the calculator. Yeah, yeah. At a zero, so about twenty-three hundred square feet or so. twenty-three thousand yeah. square feet, half acre. All right, all right, Jim. And then is it also important to know? And that's pretty cool. I've, I've never looked at it that way. Uh, the different types of nitrogen. That's where the key comes in, is how often you have to apply it. And that will be totally based on the plants and the type of nitrogen that's in the container. Yeah, because so. like, cause if you go by, you mentioned 61212 or even something like triple 13. All ammoniacal nitrogen. Which is going to be a quick-release fertilizer. In right. two weeks' time, it's done its job and it's done, if right? If you're lucky. I, I, I usually plan on three to five days. Okay, but I'm saying it happens quick. Quick. And then if you go buy, let's say, just a lawn food that has like a 24, 25% nitrogen in it. Right. Okay. I know for a fact that out of that 24% nitrogen, only about 2% of that is going to be a quick release. That's right. And it's just to make you think it's doing something, just to give it a little green up. And then the other 22% in there is going to be more of a slow release. Exactly. And so that's where it bases on how often that you have to apply that one pound. Because people, a lot of times when they see that first number, which is always going to be nitrogen in that, you know, those three numbers, they, a lot of people think that nitrogen is nitrogen. It's, when you put it out, you water it in, it's going to work really quick, and then it's done. Right. Most of the turf builders... Uh, that nitrogen will actually feed your grass for about 60 days or yeah. so. And if you... And inc- I tell people anywhere from, you know, five to six weeks. Yeah. You know. if, if you pump a lot of um, more fertilizer to it, it makes it grow faster. And you really don't want it to grow faster. And I know a lot of people want to, you know, cut their way back to the house. But you don't want to do that because you end up... If you're on a once-a-week mowing pattern, right. you're cutting off too much blade. Okay, you'll see what I call Sunday morning browning, where you have that brown tips all the way across. And that's because you've cut down into stems. So you're cutting off too much of a blade at one time. And so to replace that tissue, it has to burn carbohydrates that have been stored in the root system, which actually makes your grass weaker. So are you cutting not often enough? Are we feeding too much or both? Both in most cases. You're doing both. (laughs) God. Bermuda should be cut in a home lawn about every five days. If you're going seven, you're going to get some brown tips on yeah. them. You know, as we've talked about, golf courses cut their greens every day. 
uh, to, and they remove just a very fraction of that green. So it stays green. Yeah. And if your blade's sharp, you don't get the ragged edges, and it will stay perfectly green and beautiful. Yeah. Um, lots of lots of little scenarios to work through. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to use either Plantone as my lawn fertilizer or the Espoma lawn okay. fertilizer or maybe Milorganite. But the only thing I have to know on that is just put it out. No, actually, you're still doing the same amount of nitrogen. Right, but I mean, I don't have to think about it. I can just put it out. That was a lot of math y'all just did. Well, okay, if you're not putting it down at the correct rate, you're mm-hmm. either wasting fertilizer or you're not putting enough. Right, So, but I can just put it down whenever. I don't have to put it down at a certain time. I can put down organic fertilizer anytime well, you I want can, to. You can. And, and if then, the bacteria is working, it'll break right. it down. If it's not, it's just going to sit there. Right. And that's okay because it'll just sit there and bond with the soil and wait for the temperature to be right. And then it's available. Otherwise... Well, your nitrogen's gone. Okay. No, after, but it, after it's broken down, mm-hmm. the bacteria and everything eats it. Over but I'm not again. I'm not going for the nitrogen, which I guess was y'all's point with with the synthetic is the nitrogen. I'm just going for the whole feed, the whole feeding, the holistic part of your soil. <laughs> maybe <laughs> ah, maybe I should say. So I'm going for the whole feeding, and when everything's always there, whenever the plant wants it, it can take it instead of waiting for us to give it. Yeah, and I hear what you're saying because if you do put down a lawn food let's say just a fertile lawn food plus iron for example and it's got the 24 percent nitrogen in there but it does have the two percent quick release so when you put that product out and you water it in you're going to see some action pretty quick because it's Mm -hmm. got a little bit of that quick release well if you put down something like an espoma lawn food or a milorganite or one of these plant tones or one of these organic fertilizers you're going to have to be a little more patient as far Mm -hmm. as that initial greening power uh, or, or even to to make it grow. But see, I'm I'm one of those where if I put it out, I want it to turn green overnight mm-hmm. and start growing the next day. Right. You know, and I'm like, Jim, I probably do the wrong thing. I probably go out there and cut off too much of the blade at one time uh, because I only cut it once a week. I'm not, I can't. You're only it. off one day a week. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I can't go out there and cut it every five days. But if I use something like Veda's mm-hmm. talking about, a plant tone, milorganite, a spoma lawn food, any of those, then it's going to work over a longer period of time because it actually takes a little longer to break down and start working. Mm-hmm. But either way, yeah. you're absolutely fine. Right. But still, the whole point is using that n- amount of nitrogen the correct at, way. At the correct right. way gets you the most value for your money. Yes. Right. If you right. take Plantone and go out there and you got a ten, uh, a thousand square feet and dump forty pounds on it, yeah. it isn't going to burn yeah. your grass. Yeah. But that fertilizer w- could have gone over a much larger right. area, and you got good results. Yeah. Got it. Because when I say all I got to know is throw it out, of course it says the if rate. the bag says. Yeah, I'm going to definitely follow the rate, yeah. but I don't have to figure out when the soil temperature is going to be this. And what, so then I'm going to put my lawn food out then. So, uh, but anything has to have microorganisms to process it, whether it's your organic or chemical to make it released to the and plant. And let me say this also, Jim was talking about the price on synthetic fertilizers, which have completely, you know, they mm-hmm. have gone up. Uh, the organics, not as much. Um because of the processing is a little different than the synthetic fertilizer. So that was good mm-hmm. to see that. I mean, they everything went up. Yeah, manure, the up. price of manure didn't go up, but the price of food to make the manure went <laughs> exactly. up. <laughs> exactly. Okay, we got to go to break. And so y'all just hang out um, a little bit. But <laughs> can somebody else sit on this side, please? <laughs> 
<laughs> Somebody else. And I know we got Jamie. This is, must not be my talent. And I know we got Jamie, but Jamie's got to hang on just one second. But yeah, I mean, just and what we're also saying is whether it's it's organic fertilizers or synthetics, uh, like Veda just said, somewhere on that bag it should say the coverage. And like Jim is saying, it's pretty important to put the proper amount of fertilizer down mm-hmm. on the proper amount of space that. Well, see, but, that's, it, but see, that's what I said about the Miracle Grow. It tells yeah. you it will cover yeah. five. It won't do it. But you no. can go. You can use that formula to figure it out yourself. Though. That's right. And whether it's oh. an organic or an inorganic, then that will take. Fertilizer companies want to sell you fertilizer. Mm-hmm. You know they do. That's why we go. When you go into a store, you got an evergreen food, you got a rose food, you got an azalea food, you got a lawn food, you got a flowering vine food. Okay, they can't read. Uh, exactly. <laughs> it's all exactly. the same stuff. It's yeah. just some different ratios. All right, we'll be right back. Hey, good morning and welcome back. Before we go to Jamie, you know, we were talking about the fertilizers and the rates and all of that. And that is true. Um, a lot of times what happens with the uh, fertilizer runoff into lakes or the water table is because homeowners are overusing. Oh, yeah. And so it can run off that way if you're just really, really overusing. But people blamed farmers and all of that for the whole problem. But farmers are following the rates, actually. And if you're following the rates, the plant and all that, it's just right there. But if you're overusing and not following the rates, well, it's like anything. When you get too much water or too much anything, it's going to overflow in somewhere. If you use the proper amount, yeah, then the proper amount does what it's supposed to do. Yeah, and, you know, in our soil, phosphorus bonds to the clay pretty readily. So runoff isn't as big an issue as it is in other types of soil. Sandy looms. Sandy looms, the farmland where, you know, they fertilize regularly because it moves through the soil readily. Uh, You know, it's like if you throw phosphorus on your compost pile, one good rain and it's at the ground and i mean it goes all the way through it so you know if there's not something there for it to bond to it easily gets into the water and that's what's happened you know like you go the to the Gulf, mouth of the mississippi river right, yeah where, you know the dead zone right where we have created that you know mm-hmm. if we'd let the water go where it wants to go which is down the the atchafalaya it would go into the swamps and the deltas mm-hmm. and all of that would be caught before it ever got to the gulf right. and so, if it with like you said where it's going to get caught um is a bunch of microorganisms and all of that and they're going to process mother nature's filter yeah yeah that's a good way to put it mother nature's filter so if it gets to that point like you said if you would let it flow like it's supposed to be and then would hit those sections and then it would be processed out of the uh soil in the ground, soil in the. Why do I keep calling soil in the water gardens? Well, but then we go in there and dredge. I mean, because we use the Mississippi River, uh, you know, we want it as a as a contained river. We don't mm-hmm. want it as a flat, you know, river that that goes into woods and every you know swamp yeah. areas and everything. 
So we're, like Jim said, we're creating that problem. Right. You know? That was the word when the when it flows down through the swamps and the swamps are so full of microorganisms and all of the soil web that can still be in water, then then a lot of that's being processed well, out by that. And the that. bottom line is, like we Jim brought it up, is just try to use the fertilizers at the rate that it calls for. You know, if yeah. it calls for 20 pounds per thousand square feet, that doesn't mean 100 pounds per mm-hmm. thousand square feet is going to make your yard any better. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> Go make it taller. <laughs> <laughs> taller, faster. Like like I was t- told the story before of the, the guy who used... I asked him what he had used after after he had bought a new lawnmower and been mowing and mowing and mowing his his yard and he had just he put all down at one time triple thirteen and then he sprayed it with Miracle Grow my kind of guy you know and it was definitely green and beautiful and then he mowed it and it was brown so that was a lot of energy yeah. he he spent a lot of fertilizer he had to do a lot of mowing yeah. to get it in check you had to do a lot of watering mm-hmm. and he did all that work to mow it and be brown yeah, I'm with you. because it had grown so fast you know and had green all in the top but no green at the bottom and then i'm using the whole organic program because I'm, I'm learning organics at this time so i'm using the whole program and every time i mowed it was always green I had to only water once a week, and I'd water deeply, where he was watering all the time. So so with me, for the organic, it was less work, less water, less mowing. Uh, so now so I know whatever, you yeah, whatever the cause mm. is and the whole thing, that was just my point, was less work. Less and, and the end result was and you had a beautiful green lawn. Yeah. And you were only cutting off the tips of your grass because right. you weren't force feeding it to grow yeah. 18 inches a day, yeah. correct? And see, it was green all the way through. Uh, so when I mowed it, it was still green. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we got time to go to Jamie. Yeah. Good morning, Jamie. You're in the Mid-South Garden. How are you today? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning to you, Mr. Jamie. We're live at the Agri Center. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. He is live at the Agri Center. Now, what about the weather this morning? I know it's been a little breezy, maybe a little chill in the air, but it's supposed to wind up being a pretty darn pretty day. 65, 65 later today. Right? This Jenny, you remember Jenny, our our favorite tomato girl. Love Jenny. She's in charge of the coffee pot. And yesterday, a guy came by, and I asked him where he got his coffee. And he says, oh, right down there. I said, the coffee's a dollar, but if you're lucky, they'll let you hug the pot for five. (laughs) 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 Oh, that is too much. But anyway, we're here. we got plenty of plants. And uh, Miss Jenny might want to say hello. Good morning to everyone. Oh, that is too funny. Is Miss Jenny? Hey, 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 Jenny, Jenny. Good morning to you. Good morning. How are you guys this morning? We're great, and I can't believe you're charging people $5 to hug the coffee pot. No, it's 15 <laughs> Colder this morning. Oh, Jamie must have been the one that got the deal. <laughs> and what time do the festivities open this morning? We open at 9 o'clock sharp, and we'll be here till 5. We've got some beautiful plants. We've got a bunch of garden jumble. We've got a bunch of vendors. Yeah. We have education tables, silent auction, and speakers. 
and all kinds of demonstrations. So, so and so, and some good food to to find here too. So everybody come out and enjoy. That'd be a lot of fun. I'm telling you, and it's not raining today. And I'm telling you, the weather. At least the sun's going to mm-hmm. be out. And of course, we expect you know a little chill in the air yeah. this time of year. You always expect it at spring fling anyway. Yeah, always. No matter what weekend you put it on. We save that cold spell for spring fling every day. <laughs> it so. seems like it, I'm telling you. Well, Jenny, we love y'all to death. Y'all do a great job of what y'all do. It should be a lot of fun, a lot of good stuff, like you said. Uh, just a really good day. And I think the hardest part of your day is just trying to keep Jamie in line. So. Might be a challenge. <laughs> oh, but the wind is not bad today, like it was yesterday. So we're hoping for a great day. Yeah. Right. So everybody, come out and join us. All right, darling. Well, thank you. Always a pleasure. Thank you. And yes, tell, sir. Tell Jamie we said hey. I'm handing him the phone. Okay. Hey, you Jamie. Got the best job yeah. Going. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jamie. Um, anyway. Uh, Yes. No, we're just saying, y'all, we hope that y'all have really a, a really great day. I think the weather's going to be perfect. I mean, it's not going to be too hot by any means. It's surely not going to be too cold. And it's not raining and the sun's out. I mean, so what more could we ask for? Well, really, it's, uh, you know, it's spring, so <laughs> this is to be expected, I suppose. That's exactly But anyway, right. it's, uh, it's going to be a great day, and we'd love for everybody to come out and, and visit with us. I've got my little tomato stuff over here in the corner. I'm giving brochures away and ask, answering questions. So, And Debbie will be here with her mm-hmm. educational programs for the kids. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, we got the whole base covered here. So y'all come on out and enjoy yourself. All right, buddy. Well, thank you, Jamie. Appreciate the phone call, brother. Thank you for calling in. So uh, he said he had all his tomato stuff out ready. He's got it ready for the upcoming tomato contest in July, I believe so. That's what he's giving out so you can get more information. And there are a lot of uh, the plant organizations that are out there. I know uh, I heard that the Herb Society and the West Tennessee Hour Society are sharing a table there. Mm-hmm. So you can learn about some of this and then, you know, join if you want and see, go to their meetings. Mm-hmm. If you have uh, an interest in any particular type of plant, there's probably a society in this town <laughs> that, that, you know, that sits around and talks about them. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, not like me who you know I like everything. Is there a I, water garden society yet? There's not one here that I know of. Uh, mm-hmm. There is an aquarium society. Oh, uh, maybe, interesting. Maybe they cover that. Yeah. Um, but you know, in a lot of places in the country, water gardening is huge. Mm-hmm. Like Denver, which you wouldn't think so much, mm-hmm. but you know, it's here. You, you, it's hard to sell a fifty dollar fish. Yeah, you know, well, but I'm gonna tell you at one point they, they sell five hundred dollar fish. You know, yeah. all the time. <laughs> when the you know when the outdoor living space started becoming a thing, uh, in fact, even the home builders were creating these environments for people. Uh, the water mm-hmm. garden features at that it seems like at that time were really taking hold, and. You know, you couldn't hardly go in a backyard, Veda, mm-hmm. without finding a Sometimes. water feature in anybody's yard. I mean, mm-hmm. everybody was doing it. Well, I'm going to try to make them come back. Uh, you're going to start it up Good again, are you? you? Yeah, yeah, because it's time for a water garden to come back into your garden, and we're going to run to a break. Call us 260-5926. Good morning, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad to have you all here with us. You can check us out on Facebook Live. You can post questions on that, or you can call us 
888-528-5926. And if you don't want to be on air, uh, Claire can just put the question on the board and uh, we can answer it that way. Yep. Yep. All right, guys, what, do y'all, what is y'all's opinion? Uh, Chinese snowball viburnum or eastern snowball viburnum? Easter. Well, I mean, and the reason... In, um, the the flowers. Are First lo- of all, what is a what is a snowball viburnum? No, it looks like a white hydrangea and it's just about to break into full bloom You're right exactly now. Exactly right. Beautiful balls of white blooms. Yeah. Uh, and Jim, and and there, you know, you see a lot of the Chinese variety uh, and the Eastern variety. And you said you like the I like Eastern. the Eastern. The flower to me is bigger, or at least has been in my garden. I took the Chinese one out and just kept the Eastern snowball. So, uh, but, you know, it's, uh, it, and, and the odd thing is it will have some flowers all the time, pretty much. Mm-hmm. I've got two uh, on this one bush that are fully open, and then all the rest of them are just beginning. And these were, you know, ready to open last fall. That is amazing. And they just said, uh, you know, so you'll get some color throughout the season, but in about another 30 days, it's going to be absolutely spectacular. The I agree. And yeah. now the eastern snowball of Viburnum is going to get a little taller than the Chinese I think variety. So. Yeah. It does. But I've had to cut mine. Mine is planted on a fence, um, and it, it can't go but three or four feet. On one side, or it yeah. gets into the neighbor's yard, yeah. and they don't particularly like anything in their airspace. I got you. Yep. So, <laughs> so I have to I have to keep it cut back pretty severely. And you cut it back right after it blooms. Yes. Jim. Yeah. yeah. And, every, and almost every year, I have to reduce it. So. And um, how much sun does your viburnum get? Full sun. Full sun. Full and, sun. Yeah. And they grow pretty quickly too. Oh, gosh, yes, okay. they do. Once they're once you get them in there by year three or so, mm-hmm. they explode and grow. And, but I'm telling you guys, if you've never seen one or if you've never had one in your landscape mm-hmm. uh it, it is unbelievable uh the amount of blooms you get on this thing mm-hmm. it You're is like, a fantastic plant i always thought growing up that it was a hydrangea yeah it reminds me of yeah. a white blooming hydrangea very except tall they get really hydrangea. much bigger yes <laughs> but it, it's amazing how beautiful and it could grow in full sun i've seen it used as hedges i saw i've seen one used as a hedge and i've think it's been was was there about 30 years mm-hmm. and now i've seen them one by one die off so then they replaced them with uh, green giant arbovitas yeah. but of course they planted them in summer yeah how many do you think are alive right now maybe two or three out of the 20 <laughs> yeah. yeah or how about how about the trees the big trees that um they were going to plant on the side of the road under the power lines, but they also brought them in in the middle of summer. Oh, yeah. Let them fall over. They didn't get any water for like a week or so. Oh, yeah, it's just, then they, they went to all that work to plant those trees under the power lines. But how many of those trees died? Most of them. 75%. <laughs> so but, we just went into all that to plant plants that died just because mainly because they weren't watered. Yeah, and and the Chinese uh, snowball viburnum and they're both easy. First of all, completely mm-hmm. easy to grow, and they're both beautiful bloomers. But the Chinese snowball is going to get a, uh, around anywhere from eight to ten foot tall. Okay, uh, it probably even closer to the eight foot height. Jim and the eastern snowball can get you know typically around here twelve to fifteen foot tall. Even I've seen some maybe a little bigger, but uh, and you can't grow them with either one. Uh, but also, Jim, they don't produce the fruit. You know, right. So there's absolutely no fruit that, right. that mm-hmm. they produce. So you don't have to worry about a million other little viburnums coming up around this one viburnum. It's okay? my botanical name includes the word sterile. It does. <laughs> it does. <laughs> but, so I had no idea that 
they could repopulate like that. Yeah, but these don't. I they mean, don't. they have Those no they're fruit sterile. whatsoever. Yeah. So all you get to enjoy is the beautiful bloom or like, of I this wouldn't thing. think of viburnum for some reason. I've never thought about that. Like, don't buy this viburnum because it's going to seed everywhere. It's an, I never I'm, would have thought that. And, and usually it's not an issue because the mm-hmm. birds will eat the seed. So. <laughs> right. That is if we haven't sprayed to kill the birds. Why would you spray uh, kill birds? Because illegal. I know, but they spray plants and then it kills birds. Oh, I know. I was oh, waiting. I was yeah, making gems. Okay. I was waiting because you have to counter counterpoint that because it's not true. Well, because most things that do berry around here, whether it's deciduous hollies, whether it's chokeberry, whether it's viburnums and on nandinas on mm-hmm. down the line. There are enough birds out there to take right. every one of those berries away yeah. from us. Okay? Exactly. So, Jim, explain. Well, yeah. years ago, one of the things that they would use diasnon and Durzban, uh, they would love th- those products. They would throw them out on golf courses, and it would kill the geese that were on there. You know, of course, they were killing insects, but they were de- they were deliberately putting it out to get rid of the birds. Um, the geese. Which is wrong. Yeah, okay. I agree. Uh, and that's one of the reasons I got snatched off the market is because of people using it improperly. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so so that's if it. you're following the directions on any insecticide, whether it's organic or synthetic, there is little danger to anything other than the target insect that you're after. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, there can be on occasions. Um, well, I'll give you a, a for for instance, they they had that uh, uh, bumblebee kill up in Washington. Okay, right. well these guys were spraying shrubs and stuff, and it what it sounds like is these trees were in full bloom. You yeah, know, they were some sort of flowering tree, and the bees were all around them. It was bothering these guys, so they just sprayed the trees. Wow. Well. There was that. hundreds of thousands that looked like dead bees all over everywhere, you know. So what got blamed? The insecticide. Yeah, not the not, guy that's out spraying the bees when they're active, right? right. So I wanted you to clarify that because it, it's it's not it's almost always the user. It's mm-hmm. not the product when used properly. There can be some freak things. There can, yeah. but you know, it's one of those things where you look at. Benefit versus risk. Sure. And w- with anything. And mm-hmm. in most cases, well, in all cases, for homeowner use, the benefit far outweighs the risk. Right. Okay. But notice how you said a while ago, if you, when used properly. properly. That's the thing. Yeah. Because you know? this could have, um, it's well, it started like what you just said, but at, back a long time ago, we would just spray everything oh, no yeah. matter what. Yeah. So you could possibly have gotten bird nests that way, but... But we had lead arsenate that we would spray evergreens, for, yeah. you know. And it, oh, it did a wonderful job. But you would get it in the bird's nest mm-hmm. and stuff. And those things were real toxic. But, yeah. Uh, but, again, that was improper spraying. Right. And at, DDT got yeah. blamed. Now, what we know now is DDT did not do what they said it did. Um, Other it, than kill a, some mosquitoes. We, mm-hmm. That's right. It is probably the best insecticide for mosquito control ever developed. Uh, it's uh, humans, it's totally harmless to humans. Yeah. Now, if you inhale it, mm-hmm. it will get in your body, but and it sometimes stays there. It, it will embed in fat, but it does no damage that any anything has ever shown. 
Mm-hmm. So, um, in fact, even the World Health Organization a few years back wanted to bring back DDT uh, to be used worldwide mm-hmm. for malaria mosquitoes. They, they still use it in parts of the world, just they like did. here in the States, of you course. Know, uh, something like 200,000 kids or more die each year from uh, malaria. Mm-hmm. We can stop that. We can absolutely stop that loss with DDT. You can spray the inside of your house. You can open the windows and screens, and mosquitoes will not come in. All right, so what you need to take away from all of this is if you're using, whether it's fertilizers, uh, put them down at the proper rate. If you're using insecticides, fungicides, herbicides, make sure you read the label and also use that in the proper way. And if you do that, guys, you're going to be fine, yeah. you know. And then one more thing real quick. Jim was talking about the, the bees. If you're ever spraying, you try to spray early morning or late in the afternoon, especially when things are blooming yeah, and bees are active. Preferably night, you know, exactly. when you're talking about if something's in bloom. But you never spray the bloom yeah. on practically anything yeah. other than few fun fungal issues on fruit trees and so yeah, forth yeah petal blight on camellias or something mm-hmm. like that sometimes you have to spare a fungicide but typically they're not going to kill your insects yeah. So, right, yeah, so let's not spray everything. Don't mix in properly. Right. Spray at the right time. And, you know, we're learning so many more things to make our gardening easier oh, and yeah. to, to work. We're blending with the environment. We have to. We have to do it. I mean, like, again, you were talking about the DDT. I remember my father talking about uh, black fly. He said, I don't care what the DDT would do to me in the long run, but we couldn't tolerate the black fly. I need some fly. relief, right. yeah. Yeah. So, and then know. the malaria issue. Right. You know, we had a product years ago, DDVP, which uh, we sold under the name of Vapona. You could put a little bit of it in a cap, uh, and you could see the flies come up and then drop dead right there. Right love it. there. You know, I love that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We will be back for the third hour. So, y'all get your questions together. We want to know what you're thinking instead of what we're thinking because we'll talk for days and days and days. Call us 260-5926. Good morning and welcome back to the third hour of Mid-South Gardening. So glad we can be with you and do this for three hours because I'm with my faves. Look at you. Talking about my faves. But if you want to give us a call this morning, 260-5926. 260-5926. Of course, go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page and shoot us a text right there. And as Jim and Veda always say, go to uh, kwamradio.com. You can listen live. They're streaming live all the time. And you can go back and listen to the podcast later on. But we did have Wendy Johnson text in. She said the cedar wax wings just came and cleaned out the berries on our Nellie Stevens. We were talking about berries yeah. and how we usually don't get a chance to enjoy anything that berries around here because mm-hmm. of the birds. Yeah, you know, and it's hard. back We were talking about using things improperly back when I first got in the business in the 70s we recommended using blackleaf 40 to keep birds from eating the berries yeah. off of your pyracanthus and, <laughs> yeah. and, and blackleaf well, 40 if uh, i remember was nicotine a nicotine yeah. yeah yeah i mean it, you know um and it did a, it did a good job of that I it tasted bad and they wouldn't eat them yeah so um, what are you gonna do because it didn't hurt them they no, just didn't, didn't they mm-hmm. just you know took a little taste and yes, said yes. no thank you yeah 
Hey, so some people no, probably... It's not, it's not very good for people, though. You know? No, exactly. Uh, I, I was spraying it one time in a greenhouse, which probably wasn't right either. Mm-hmm. But, no, probably wasn't. Um, you of course, know, you can't even buy this product when I, when I walked out of the greenhouse, it was kind of like, like looking through the wrong oh. end of binoculars. Kind of through the kaleidoscope. Yeah. yeah. Uh, hands were shaking yeah. a little bit, and I thought, you know... I'm not going to do this again. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm not going there. So some people probably saw this on Facebook, but I just had to share it. There's always a reason to buy more plants, you know. Upset, buy plants. Happy, buy plants. Just got paid, (laughs) buy plants. Stressed, buy plants, of course, for the therapy. Bored, buy plants. Need milk, No, a lot of times when when people are bored, they'll dig up plants, and then you go buy that's More true. Plants. It's your birthday. Buy all the plants. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, you're right, though. I'm going to dig this up and yeah. give it to my neighbor because I really want to buy I've gotten Exactly. Hooked. I have no room to put anything else. Yeah. I've gotten hooked on succulents back again. Years ago, I used to grow a lot of echeverias and things like that. Paul that, Little will give you a bear hug next time he sees you. Yeah, when we got the, we would get them from um, Heinz Nursery at, oh, back then. Nice. They grew some really unusual um, succulents. succulents. Uh, in fact, I visited uh, I visited Urban Earth this week for the first time. Yeah. Uh, interesting little nursery uh, down there under the bridges, or kinda of a poplar. But uh, they had they had a little succulent there that I just you know was so cool looking. And then so it ended up being in mm-hmm. my collection. And, and, yeah. they, and I've never grown succulents, but from what I understand, I mean a succulent reminds me of something in the cactus family. Mm-hmm. Which which Simple, makes me yeah. think it is super easy to mm. to grow. Well, that's that's pretty true. Yeah. yeah, you you do have to be careful though because you can overwater them even when they're dry. Mm. Yes, know. that makes me insane. It is. So, yeah. but they yeah. like to be on the dry side because it is a of succulent. Them, yes, yeah. you know. But I've had real good luck. I've in fact with uh, sensevarias and and uh, gas uh, gasterias mm-hmm. and gaster aloes, which are crosses between gasterias and aloes. And the sensevaria is yeah. the mother-in-law's tongue. Right. Yeah. But and I've had real good luck getting them to bloom which is kind of unusual on some of them so uh they apparently like where i've got so you, them. you stress them and, and the biggest thing you're saying jim is you don't I stress them you don't <laughs> overwater. <laughs> i mean and you got to have good yeah. drainage also right but i've been guilty of underwatering yeah. too okay. you know so that's so. the hard thing and a lot of people say that they go i killed a succulent how do i kill a succulent and that i even have trouble gauging it it's like the longer you go without water they're they're good it mm. seems, but how long is that that they go? Right. And then you soak them in water and really good, and then they're like, I didn't like that either. Yeah. yeah. So it's, but mostly, Most, I mean, you can't put it on a calendar to water every. You can't, you yeah. know, and that's one of the things. Right now they've been in the garage, you know, and yeah. I moved them out for a couple of days, which the wind dried them out much quicker. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I had some, um, uh, the Night Blooming Series, some new colors that I've gotten. Uh, that the foliage doesn't look good on them. It's yeah. dehydrated, but they are sprouting from the roots, which is what all I needed anyway. Yeah, I got you. So uh, they're not dead, but uh, I did let them get a little too yeah. dry. But I always say for container-grown plants, I always you know, want to err on the side of slightly underwatering than grossly overwatering. Yes. Though, so keep that yeah. in mind. That's a better choice. On another right. thing, um, Veda, that I— and. You know, you're talking about there's not a bad reason to go out and buy plants. Yeah. You know, whether it's your birthday, whether you're bored, whether it's early morning <laughs> or whether it's late in the afternoon, Sad, right? you know, yeah. There's always a reason to go buy plants. Uh, and one of the plants that I want to talk about is the Madison Star Jasmine, mm-hmm. uh, you know, compared to just the regular Confederate Star Jasmine, right? 
Uh, Madison Star is a cultivar of Confederate jasmine. It is Confederate jasmine, okay? Yeah. It's just a newer variety is what it is. And the reason I like the, the Madison Star jasmine, which is an evergreen vine, beautiful green foliage on it, and very beautiful white fragrant blooms, okay? But it's more of a hardy. It, it, it's actually, they say, is a zone hardier mm-hmm. than just regular Confederate jasmine. Uh, yeah. Because we all know that, you know, you get this Confederate jasmine on the trellis or wherever you want to plant it, and we get a crazy winter in here, and it's killed. It's sometimes mm-hmm. killed to the ground and gone, you know, not just coming back from the root, but killed. So can that happen to a Madison Star jasmine? Probably. It still can. Yeah. It probably will at some point. But if I'm going to plant jasmine, I mean, I think that's the one that I'm going to go to because it is more cold tolerant. Uh, than just regular Confederate jasmine. It actually blooms longer. It has a longer blooming season than some of the just Confederate jasmine. Um, so, you know, and, and I love that plant because a lot of people want a vine to grow, you know, on, on trellises and arbors and obelisks or whatever. Mm-hmm. They And they want it to be evergreen, but they still want the bloom. Right. Yeah, I like the Madison Star as well. And I do have some of them in stock, and, and people are learning about those because they're asking for them. But it gives you the white bloom. Man, you know, I've always wanted to do this, and I never have, but I've wanted to plant like three different vines next to each other and let them ingle, intermingle, and that'll yep. give you different colors at different times. I've done that on my mailbox since yeah. we've been in the house 20 years ago. Clematis, so. uh, Carolina mm-hmm. jasmine, and Confederate jasmine. Yeah. I've got uh, the Golden Poets jasmine, which has the yellow flowers, but it doesn't bloom bloom much because it's gets only gets a couple hours of sun yeah. but the golden foliage is just really spectacular yeah. and then i've got eight or nine different varieties of clematis in there um mm, how big's your mailbox uh, it, it's on a monument it, <laughs> that's how you get all those things yeah. yeah no kidding but i, I plant, know about plant those. all the way around it you mm-hmm. know and uh and they just climb up in there, and yeah. some of them bloom real good. Some of them don't bloom as well, but, you know, yeah. it's, it, you get interesting colors in there. I do like that mix. And clematis is really a good one for the mailbox. I think the postmen will thank you for that because the postmen don't like all those honeysuckle vines and because they grow all over your mailbox, and then the wasps live in them, and then he tries to put the mail in there, hey, and I there's planted, all those issues. I planted a hyacinth bean. Uh, in fact, uh, a good friend of mine, Blaine Britton in Marion, Arkansas, gave me a hyacinth bean plant. And I planted this thing around the mailbox. This is years ago. And, of course, it completely took the mailbox over in overnight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it would draw so many bees, yeah. I'm telling you. And why I'm thinking about the mail lady when I did this, mm-hmm. because a lot of the mail ladies don't like anything flying around the mailbox, right. okay? And there were times that we just didn't get mail. Yeah, you know? mm-hmm. right, because yeah. it was too many bees. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, so. I can, I'll get that. I'll First house that. In, in Bartlett, when we moved in, I planted a fairy rose on the mailbox. Which got I love that rose. huge, you know, and I'd shear it back. And then one day I opened the mailbox, and there there was no mail in there, but there was a little <laughs> note uh-huh. that said, ouch. that was sweet yeah I, uh, we, I think actually we had a postman call on the show like years ago 
And that's where I learned that from, where he was like, please don't. But just the, please don't. But the don't. clematis, which I love. And there's or is so many it clematis? Or clematis, tomato, tomato, <laughs> vegetable, what, right. Is, is it doesn't draw a lot of bee action. You know, you still get the beautiful blooms. I mean, mm-hmm. and they'll grow out there just fine. But they're not going to bring in the wasp and the, and the bees like, the, uh, like some of these other blooming vines yeah. do. So and I maybe, can tell, I know that our, it's taken a while to be warmer, judging by pictures from the last springs. Oh, we're two because weeks by behind, this yeah. time, I had a clematis growing up my uh, porch rail yeah. and blooming. But this, now it's just going, I'm trying. But I, And I know <laughs> we got to go to a break, but real quick, if you ever want to plant a clematis or clematis, well-drained soil, lime it every time you walk past it, Okay. And they're also one of those that like their feet to be a little cool. Mm-hmm. So whether or it is, yeah, to me the one plant, the only plant that you want to plant deeper than the soil line. Mm-hmm. You know, if you'll put half that exposed vine underground, that all becomes roots. Kind of like the old tomato, Jim. Yep. And uh, so plant plant it deep. Yeah, and then also plant something around the bottom of it, kind of to shade that mm-hmm. little root area. It likes to be a little cooler down there, and I tell you, it makes a big difference. So the secrets are lime, plant deep, and cool feet. Yep. And we're going to take a break. Call us, 260-592. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. You can post pictures or questions on Facebook Live. You can call in and give us questions, but we've got lots of answers. Yeah, and anytime during the week, you can post your question and pictures or whatever on our Facebook group in South Gardening. Uh, we now have about 7,400 members, uh, and we do appreciate everybody getting in. I posted those pictures on Tuesday of um, the Dixon Gallery. And, and I you know, need to go ahead and look at that. Three or 400 likes on it. So, you know, we got a lot of participation, a lot of people reading it mm-hmm. uh, and commenting. So please do. And, and, you know, there's no drama on there. Nobody's going to try to convince you to go organic or, <laughs> or use you, chemicals. Yeah. So, you know, it's, uh, it, it's a really good group, really good. And we got a lot of good gardeners on there. Uh, and we'd love for you to become one of our experts. We have a number of experts on there who really know what they're talking about. That's great. Uh, mm-hmm. And this there isn't is. this isn't you know, you know, it, I, it's bad. But you know, Carol Carol Reese, who is up at UT, yeah. uh, Jackson, you know, and heard her name e- in a long time. Everybody knows her. Everybody respects her. They send her questions. Even on our site, we have people say, "Oh, you should check with Carol mm-hmm. Reese. She'll know." Uh, <laughs> well, you know. She she applied to get into the group, and I turned her down, you know, and I sent her a note, and I said, you know, you are so popular that everybody's going to be directing questions to you, and I'm trying to avoid that. Mm-hmm. See, that's, in, that's great. In, or I, even well, to yourself. I feel like I hurt her feelings, you know, mm-hmm. and I usually don't answer a question until it sits there long yeah. enough that nobody else is really trying. Gotcha. So, um, but... I was just afraid that it would change the group so dramatically with her joining yeah. that I, you know, I turned her down. And she thanked me for, for letting her yeah. know. I mean, um, it was all for the right reasons, it, of it course. It was to me, anyway. Yeah. Um, so, But Mid-South Gardening is the name of that. And I tell you, it, how cool is it, though, if you have, I mean, like you said, you can post pictures. But if you ever have a question or if, or if there's a problem... There's somebody out there that has that an knows, answer to it. done it before, you know, so it, it's really... 
just a spectacular group. I never expected it to be as good as it is. All right, we we know there's uh you know a he, growing plants here in Memphis. There there's a lot of diverse plants that we can grow because our weather is so mm-hmm. diverse to start with, uh, and hydrangeas is one of those as we all know that have really taken off in the last 10 or 15 years okay that's another one where there's 30 new ones mm-hmm. every year yes yeah that's and that's my <laughs> point and the one y'all that i'm going to highlight today is the limelight prime the one that's the little bitty one yeah well, it's, it's a little more compact no yeah. it's not a little bitty one uh but you know there's always been these paniculata varieties uh and the paniculata varieties of hydrangeas usually have these beautiful white blooms we all know that and normally you would see the bobo that was the dwarf. Bobo's not dwarf. Well, not dwarf, it's, but it was <laughs> it was a it was a three to four foot. It was a yeah, shorter variety true. than mm-hmm. little lime or limelight. Okay, but the beauty of these hydrangeas is they bloom m- most of the summer. Beautiful white blooms could take all the sun you want to give them, and then like I said, they came out with limelight, which everybody's heard of and probably has in their landscape somewhere. They came out with Limelight Prime, and I'm thinking, okay, this is a new cultivar, and what is so special about mm-hmm. Limelight Prime? Here we go. Prime. Yeah. Uh, and what I'd, what I'd read about was it starts to bloom earlier in the season than just regular Limelight once it's established. Okay, I'm thinking, oh, that's good, you know. Okay. Uh, it has supposedly, supposedly has stronger stems, so it holds up that bloom better than mm-hmm. just normal Limelight does. And I'm thinking, well, okay, that's not a bad thing either, you know, but... Uh, I really have never noticed blooms drooping on on the limelight. Uh, It doesn't get quite as tall as the regular limelight. No, limelight can get on Mm -hmm. up there pretty big. This is going to get anywhere from, you know, four to five to six foot tall, which is still pretty big for a hydrangea. Uh, And they say the colors are more intense and not quite sure. How could white be more intense? Well, they're pretty intense. It is going to be a white, white, but also when it starts to fade, those colors become Mm -hmm. more intense, that pinkish, reddish color as those blooms fade uh, later on. So I just want people to be aware, you know, when you start seeing these new paniculata varieties that are out there, and like Jim just Mm -hmm. said, they come out with 30 more every year. There is a limelight, and then now there's a limelight prime. So I'm going to watch that plant uh, closely this year. Because it sounds like same thing. Yeah, you see, the attributes are really what they are. What about the quick fire? Love that one, too. That's a pink red. That's a big one. Yeah. You know, vanilla strawberry. Mm Mm-hmm, yeah. You know. uh, So is this one shorter than Bobo? No, this is just, it's a little shorter than the typical limelight, the limelight prime. So So the biggest thing about this is you would call it a limelight but it has more tinges of pink at the end no, of the season. No, I would think it'd be more tinges of, of green. I can't. I, I cannot envision envision a limelight mm-hmm. that's pink. Well, no, no. <laughs> it comes out. You know, they come out at kind of a greeny color, mm-hmm. and then they go to pure white, and then they kind of fade to that that pinky red. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're I love them. They're beautiful yeah. hydrangeas. Uh, but this one, you know, it's supposed to, what I like about it, if it does it, it's supposed to start blooming sooner than your typical limelight yeah. would. Yeah. So. I took out my limelight this past year because it was just, it got so big yeah. every year. Yeah. You know, I cut it down to the ground, well, mm-hmm. six inches above the ground every year, and it still grows back to 10 feet. 
you know? Yeah. Isn't that amazing yeah. how yeah. large it gets? Yeah. I've seen them planted in front of a, a number of nurseries, yeah. Yeah. actually, in a, a row, and they've got lots of space. There's nothing above. Yeah, I, you know, I kept my little line. Them. You mm-hmm. know? So, and I've got so, a bobo, and I've got a bombshell. Yeah. Uh, I planted a vanilla strawberry last yeah. late last summer. And that's a paniculata variety also. Bought they can it, take a lot of sun. Bought it in a closeout pile, so it's uh, I had to cut it back again really, really small, but uh, expecting big things from it this year. Yeah, that'd be pretty. Yeah. So um, we've got Mark on, but we're going to take him after the break. Um, he's talking about hydrangeas and all. Uh, but you know what the new color is? Uh, oh, no, it's only 825. Yeah, let's go ahead and take let's it. Go, yeah, let's go to it. Mark. Good morning, Mark. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Yeah, this is uh, Mark Pitts. If hey. you want to understand why Limelight Prime has come out, look at the patent on Limelight, which just expired. <laughs> ah, good one. So the truth <laughs> that, that explains everything. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I love that. Thanks, Mark. Thank Thanks, Mark. Bye. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, you know, because like... Plant patents run for 17 yes. years. Okay. Oh, 17. I didn't know it was 17. Years. Yeah, it's 17 years, and then, you know, it... Uh, and then when it runs out, anybody can produce it. Right. Okay, there's no royalties paid on it anymore. The so, price uh, goes down. Uh, and usually, yes. So that's you know that's <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that. That's good. That's <laughs> well, like good. I said, I'm gonna have to watch those and see if those attributes are completely accurate. Which I'm assuming. I mean, I'm sure it is. It, I mean, it is a different plant. Well, it's good to test it. I mean, I had yeah. to test the limelight when they said it was gonna grow in full sun. I did not believe it. But and I tested it hard and yeah. it did. But fine. even and not even on the paniculata varieties that can take a lot of sun. Even the old mop head varieties. Think how many. Um, uh, varieties are out there now, mm-hmm. oh, you know, I from know. when we were growing up. Yeah. Uh, and then some of the ones that's supposed to bloom on new and old wood, the endless summers mm-hmm. and and the rebloomers, you know, so hydrangeas, there, there's so many to choose from now, which I think is awesome, though, mm-hmm. you know? You know, um, we got hydrangeas in. And they came from Texas. Mm. So they're all leafed out and beautiful. We had to put them in the greenhouse last night. But the hydrangeas that we have here in Memphis, because they're acclimated to our weather. Are just now starting to flush out. Yes, yes. So I'm seeing how flushed these hydrangeas are. And I'm thinking, well, should I sell them now with all the flushed leaves on them? Yeah, you know, of course... With hydrangeas, the way they really sell is when they got flowers. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That just people will just jump on them. Yeah. So I used to buy ones from Texas, okay, mm-hmm. or the Gulf Coast. Yeah. Bring them up, and then as we begin to see the flowers fade on those, I bring in a load out of Monrovia up in uh, was it Oregon or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And we're and they're just starting, so you get another season mm-hmm. of hydrangeas. because it's the bloom that people are attracted. Oh to, yeah, like yeah. You it's said. same with viburnums. You know, if it's in bloom, you yeah. can sell it. If it's not, it ain't happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so no it's like bloom, just a green no trump. room. Yep. Yeah. Yep. No bloom. No room so the color of the year is uh perry what perry perry p-e-r-i think about it in gardening like periwinkle? yes yes oh, the uh, color a light blue yeah color of periwinkle uh perry is the color of the year now they're recommending of course the the vinca minor which is periwinkle the big leaf variegated periwinkle so no i'm not using those no that's rather um, aggressive yeah they re- they recommend mediterranean sea holly 
Do those grow here? Uh, some of the re- sea hollies will grow here. Mm-hmm. But you don't see a lot I've, of that. Yeah. yeah, I've got one that's doing quite well, uh, but it's in an elevated bed that's mm-hmm. 60% sand. Yeah, so that's going to be your um, specialty plant. So blue, and then which I love that because people love blues, and naturally there's not a yeah. lot of blues out there. There aren't. That's, you know, the Georgia Veronica really makes a nice flower. Uh, yeah. Georgia Blue Veronica. Yeah. And we've got a couple more like the Aster and the Wisteria. Yeah. So hang on. We're going to go to this break in 260-5926. We'll be right back. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Okay, you play such good music. Uh, let's go to Mr. Lynn. Good morning, Mr. Lynn. You're in the garden. Uh, yes, I had a question about uh, scarlet quince. Yes, sir. Are y'all familiar with it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely beautiful. Uh, can you tell me how it grows sun or shade or what? Full sun. Yeah, Full sun. Yeah, quince are one of those where, you know, they've been around for a long time, but it's one of the earliest blooming shrubs uh, in the spring. You know, forsythias and quince to me are like the first two that bloom. But quince right. is so easy to grow, uh, Lynn. I mean, it's, it, it, they're almost indestructible. And like Jim said, as long as they're getting at least half a day sun up to full sun and well-drained soil, um, Man, you can't go wrong having quince in a landscape. It's just that simple. Well, uh, I was out at Herb Parsons Lake and uh, where the bait shop is there yeah. in the front. They have one growing there, and it is absolutely beautiful. And they come in different colors. I mean, you know, scarlet is one of them, that reddish color, but they come in uh, whites and pinks and corals, uh, apricots. I mean, they, they definitely come in different colors other than that scarlet. And it's just a matter of preference of what color you like. But I'm telling you, Lynn, they are easy to grow, and they're tough, hardy plants, yes. Well, do most of the uh, nurseries around here sell? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you call around the different garden centers or come in and stick your head in the door. Uh, but quince is one of those that, like I said, since it's an early bloomer, they're actually blooming what now, aren't they? Yeah. Mine, yeah, mine are finishing yeah. up. Yeah, or just finishing up. And that's when people start scooping them up because they see that bloom and go, what is this yeah. thing, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you should definitely plant some of those because it's going to be easy, and of course you see the blooms the are fantastic. One out there has been blooming since March, since the first of March. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And I've got a common quince that's uh, orange leaf. Yeah. And it it bloomed early, and then the snow and everything evidently protected it, and mm-hmm. after that it put on some really uh, numerous, numerous blooms. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, so that's definitely a recommended shrub. So I don't think you can go wrong with that one. And just be a little careful. Some of them have little thorns on them, <laughs> um, you know, more so than others. But uh, And the scarlet's shorter than the regular um, quince. It's yeah, more dwarf. It's, uh, yeah. it's about two, three feet high. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you can't go wrong, Lynn. I'm telling you, you'll love it. Thank you. You're Hi, welcome. Thanks for the call. Yeah, I have um, Toyo Nishiki, which is both red, Ooh. white, and mm-hmm. pink quince flowers. And then I have Iwanashiki, which is a Ooh. double red. 
uh, that just finished up, mm-hmm. and they are spectacular. They really are. These two do have thorns. Now there, there are a number of the new, um, new ones, orange and reds, that and thornless. Yeah, that have no thorns on them. Um, but I think the the old thorny ones are really yeah. Pretty. And you, if you have one in stock in the summer, you hardly can sell it. Oh, you yeah. you would walk right past it and never look yeah. at it. Late right. summer, they tend to drop their lower leaves. Mm-hmm. Get, sometimes they get a little leaf spot on them, but it doesn't hurt them, and you don't need to spray yeah. them. They'll come out next spring and be gorgeous. Yeah. Well, thank goodness we can plant year round. Yes. Now you, you do want to make sure you prune it right after it blooms. Uh, not after about June 1st because mm-hmm. they start setting their flowers for next year pretty early. Right. Yeah, you know, you wouldn't have to think or guess so much if you just go out and prune right after they bloom. Mm-hmm. Just yep. do, and then, because then we're, we're getting into, well, azaleas up to 4th of July. The 4th, right. And then this, you don't prune after that. And this, you don't prune after that if it's blooming. If it's going to bloom this spring, don't prune now. So just prune right after they if, bloom. If you're ever going to prune them. A lot of times you don't even have to. Mm-hmm. Some people think you've got to go out there and prune every shrub you have, <laughs> you know, every year. And that's not the case, you know. But you're right. It Usually if it's a blooming shrub. Yeah. If you're ever going to cut it back, you want to do it typically right after it blooms. Well, you know, a lot of folks don't know that boxwoods don't grow sheared. They think that that the plant is grown naturally a sheared look. I've had some people come in and they want the sheared one that you don't ever have to prune. And I'm like, no, they're sheared looking because we're shearing them. (laughs) So uh, because... People just see the landscapes all the time that are uh, cut into meatballs, as Carol Reese would call it, mm. and um, or small beach balls. Yeah, yeah, they're all so they think that's how they're grown all the time. That's how they look. So, but, and that just kind of shows we don't know what plants really look like unless you can leave them out in their uh, room enough to grow. How about the big hollies that we prune uh, to keep them? small to flank each side of the doorway oh, when sure. they actually get 20 feet tall and 15 feet wide but yeah. we're just pruning them to keep them that small let's go to mr paul good morning mr paul you're in the mid-south garden good morning beta kenneth and jim how y'all doing we're All great right. mr paul my morning just got better buddy well good i'm glad to hear that you know and they're talking about spring fling this morning uh you know, when uh, Jamie called in, uh, and it made me think, Mr. Paul, every time I think about spring fling and cool mornings, it makes me think about you and the dirt buddies huddling around the 50-gallon drum with the fire coming out, just trying to stay warm. That's exactly right, and they probably needed one this morning because <laughs> I can imagine how cold it was in that north door. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where they always put Mr. Paul. Yeah. <laughs> And everybody should not forget, also, Tipton County is having their garden expo this same weekend. Yes. Up in Tipton County. At, uh, uh, I think that's at the, tip, uh, the high school there in Mumford. Now, that's cool. No, and that's going in, on. It's in Brighton. Mm. And you said that's going on this weekend also, Mr. Paul? Yes, it is, Tipton County. I see but I believe that's I believe that's in Brighton High School. We always went up there every year until the last until the last several years. And this year they're having at the same time the Master Gardeners are having theirs here. So it's kind of a conflict, but you can make both of them in one day. Oh man, people can they can run to their lo- local garden centers. Mm-hmm. They can make it out to the ag center. 
for spring right. fling, and then they can make it out to Tipton County, which that's just right down the road. Tipton right. County. And then, and then they can go out to Dabney and see Mark Pitts. I was glad to hear him on there this morning. <laughs> he made a funny comment about <laughs> one of the hydrangeas we were talking about. Yeah, he was always right. my go-to guy if I needed to know something about a conifer. Yeah. He's, yeah, the, he's, he, the, he's he, the man. He really is. He And he's real under, under uh, kind of appreciated because a lot of, he don't really ever get out in public much, you know. And he's really a smart guy, though. Yes, he is. Well, see, that's the way I thought about Mr. Paul Little. I thought mm-hmm. he was a little underappreciated, too, yeah. when he was, you know, trying to spread the word on all these beautiful <laughs> ground covers, including these succulents, Mr. Paul. But, hey... You know, you you were completely appreciated by us, okay? Well, I know, and I appreciate everybody. The horticulture community in the Mid South has been great to us through the years, and we always appreciate y'all. Now, are you going to bundle up before you head out to the egg center, or how's that going to work? No, I'm not going to go. I'm going to sit in the house where it's warm <laughs> until the sun gets warmer a little bit. Isn't that the Gosh, truth? I'm yeah. agreeing. I always see these people that put these fire pits out on their patio, yeah. and I'm thinking, you know, if it's cold enough to start a fire, my butt's inside. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> well, Paul, we love you, buddy, and have a great weekend. We'll talk to you soon. Love you guys, and y'all do a great job. Thanks. Thanks, Paul. Thank you, Mr. Paul. That's funny. Thank you. And, and I got to agree with what Jim <laughs> just said. Why are we huddling around this fire pit? <laughs> right. yeah. We got thirty coats on. Yeah. You know, and our feet are freezing. Well, that's when it doesn't work. When it's that cold. Now, I like to in the springtime when you're working out in the yard, cleaning it up and everything, and then the night gets a little chilly. Maybe at the end of spring. Then I think the fire pit is good. Maybe I mean, not if in I the can, dead of winter. If I can sit outside without the fire, then it's okay yeah. to build a little fire because I can make it that way. It's more for me, the ambiance. That's true, too. The smell, the roasted yeah. marshmallows that you can use. Okay, I have to tell you on the balcony, I have a miniature chimney. Yeah. It's like two feet tall. And I just burn little kindling in there, mm-hmm. and I roast marshmallows. And that's enough I to get keep my your, fire keep your toes warm anyway. I know. It was kind of hard to go to that when I'm used to living out on big property building bonfires. And now I'm on a balcony with this little chimney with my little fire well, on it. Well, that's your little bonfire, though. Yeah, but it still is good. And I know we got to go to a break in just a minute, but another shrub that I wanted to mention this morning, because uh, we've been going through quite a few, is the, the osmanthus, the sweet olive, you know? I just think that is a great, great shrub. So we'll talk more about it when we get back. All of the osmanthus are good, I think. They are, and we'll be back and tell you more about them. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. We've had a wonderful three hours with y'all. Hey, we've got a few more minutes left now. (laughs) Jim, what a face. That was a little different type of music but if you missed all the show or if you just want to hear it again then go to our podcast mid-south gardening um and uh, go to our facebook page also jim's an administrator and it's very very um educational and nice and calm um so anyway osmanthus yeah and i know they've got the phone ringing we'll look at that in just a minute but osmanthus sweet olive it's one of those where like Jim was saying with the quince when it's not blooming, a lot of times you'll walk past it and never think anything about it. Mm-hmm. But you can probably do the same thing with a sweet olive if it's not blooming. But when walk that past thing, it, yeah. yeah. 
And when that, but when that thing starts to bloom in those little bitty, almost inconspicuous blooms, you wonder how it packs such a powerful fragrance. And and it to me is is kind of like uh, a red where it and, and smelt, and you think it's kind of like a blend smelt. between citrus <laughs> That's a fish. Isn't it? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like a a blend y'all between citrus and gardenia. This all that packed into one fragrance. I'm yeah. telling you. Uh, of course, it's an evergreen, but I, I'm just telling you, if you've never had a sweet olive in your landscape uh, and you want a nice evergreen shrub, then they can get pretty tall, yes. believe it or not. But if you're talking about something that's fragrance that your neighbor's neighbor will be talking about. <laughs> uh, then oh, they can smell I'm it down you, two yards. Then yeah. just don't overlook the osmanthus. They're really cool because the, the fragrance is, is stronger at night. Uh, I have an Osmanthus Fortunia, which is a hybrid uh, of Osmanthus fragrant. It's still considered a, called a sweet olive, mm-hmm. but to me, it's much more fragrant than the Osmanthus fragrance. Wow! Um, <laughs> and it's it's a good zone hardier. You said than the Fortunia, Jim. Osmanthus yeah. X Fortunia. Yeah, Fortunia. Um, and uh, but it's evergreen. It has a, a serrated leaf that's uh, more more holly like right. than than Osmanthus fragrance. Uh, but all of the osmanthus I've got, in fact, I got from my good buddy sitting across here who argues with me all the time. <laughs> Veda uh, had an osmanthus <laughs> de- delvei, um, and it has a little tiny holly leaf, uh, and it's just a, a beautiful shrub. It's going to max out somewhere six or seven feet tall. Same kind of fragrance, yeah. Jim. Uh, it does. All this one is is fragrant, and it, the leaves are. Just, they look like they're. They're so small. They're miniature. Almost know? like a miniature boxwood yeah, leaf, but it's, it's, it's really, really but it serrated all the way around. Yeah, yeah very it's attractive little plant. Um, so, but I'm telling you, I mean, don't overlook those shrubs, mm-hmm. osmanthus, uh, yeah. any of those varieties that Jim was talking about. Osmanthus heterophylla, which it looks is called the false holly. Now, does it do okay here, Jim? It does. Yeah, and I have uh, was it osmanthus uh, heterophyllus gosinkii. Uh, which is a variegated one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that one too. Yeah, it's a new growth comes out <laughs> almost pure white. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and then gets some pink in it, and then ultimately turns green. So that whole class of family, um, they're, they're, they're good great, plant. great shrubs. Yeah, the hardy is everything. That dwarf when you're talking about it, fantastic. <laughs> does great with low water, but then I moved it to another location where it got more water and it grew really quickly. Mm-hmm. It shot up some stems. So, you know, it's a good drought tolerant and you can speed up the growth rate a little bit with a little extra water. But I love the fragrance of those things when so they're blooming. if you're going to, uh, I get this question a lot of times, I want to have a fragrant garden and sometimes you're standing there going, oh, I can't think of anything, but let's see. We can do the gardenias, oh, yeah. the osmanthus, the uh, Madison Star Jasmine mm-hmm. and petunias smell really good. Some you've varieties. Got to, yeah, you've got to plant a good amount of them, but but petunias are a good one. I mean, it makes uh, me think else? of the purple blooming petunias. For some mm-hmm. reason, the purple, and I'm sure there are other varieties, but some of the old-fashioned petunias um, really have a sweet, sweat fragrance yeah. to them, like you said. Oh, so, alyssum. Yeah. Alyssum, alyssum smells, yeah. smells oh, like honey They were toast. in full bloom. Uh, out at the Dixon, too, and mm-hmm. just the huge, unique red flower. Uh, that's a good one. Another one uh, good is... Viburnums. Uh, um, Some of the viburnums. The viburnums. They smell and, um, I did not know. Oh, the, like the Davidii or in the Carlisii, any of those that end with I-I, it seems mm-hmm. like the fragrance is unbelievable. Almost like a clove oh, sm- nice. uh, scent. Unbelievable. Yeah. 
you know Philadelphia's the you know what I'm trying to say Lock Lock orange. Orange. Lock orange, yeah it's it's very uh-huh. fragrant they're all white didn't we plant. just list all white flowers pretty much yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. So, uh, also, I wanted to know about what we're talking about Philadelphia. Some, oh. Some of the viburnums and some no. of the. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, vi- the David Eye. The yeah. D- yeah, David mm-hmm. Eye. Does, do you have good results with that? What is your opinion on that? Oh, I lost two that I tried in previously, and I don't have one in my garden mm-hmm. now. Uh, I think it would grow here if you've got a. A southern-facing wall or concrete mm-hmm. that would absorb some heat around the root system. It yeah. seems like you see more the Carlisii, that Korean spice, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, uh, viburnum. Uh, good yeah. drainage there again, like Jim was talking about I earlier. I love the David Eye because it's small, yeah. and it's got really blue—looks like blueberries And, you know, we were talking—go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, David. and I've mm-hmm. seen it—it's almost like a 50-50 thing where I've seen it, but— what you're saying makes a lot of sense about it could get too cold in the winter yeah. because where I've seen it was in a zero lot line where it had a lot of radiated heat off the wall and they've done great and the soil was really well drained right. we prepped it real good so if you're putting it in a dry condition that's out in the open where it's not going to be protected in the winter maybe that's why right. it's not because I love the viburnum david eyes and then you know the two that we mentioned earlier the eastern snowball viburnum and the chinese snowball viburnum and then mm-hmm. even some of the double fowl uh, and many more are not fragrant really at all okay yeah. have no fragrance but there are some out there, and I'm telling you, <laughs> they are extremely fragrant. You're talking about planting things that yeah. are fragrant, Veda. Yeah, don't overlook the viburnums wow. also. Because, you know, the paper whites are real fragrant, and they're white. That I, After we listed these out, I'm like, All those is it only blooms? white blooms that smell so good? No. I uh, you mean, you've got things like Calicanthus, Sweet Betsy, uh, Sweet Shrub. Yeah. Kind of like orangey-red bloom. Yeah, it yeah. has a very, very fragrant flower. You really need to find one from somebody's that's had one for 50 years or so. Mm-hmm. Almost all the new ones that I have seen have little or no fragrance. Isn't that amazing? So that's yeah. what it is. I've never seen an old one. You know? Yeah, but the one if you find one from an home, old homestead, you know, planted yeah. back in early 1900s. Uh, it sounds like, you know, I was born back then. It's not that the new ones don't have any fragrance, but Jim is talking about those that he has smelled before mm-hmm. that are yeah. extremely Very fragrant. Yeah. fragrant. Yeah. 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 They call them sweet bets. You know, pe- the, uh, women would take them and put them, make sachets out yeah. of them and put them with their, their unspeakables. Yeah. Uh, unspeakables. Yeah. Well, they, have y'all heard of the, uh, uh, the posies? was like they made these in the early late 1800s early 1900s and they would put lavender in all of them in this little bag that they made like out of silk or whatever and in the summer they would keep them by their nose because back in the day everybody only took a bath like once a once a week or every couple of weeks so it kind of got rank in the summer in all those big pretty dresses <laughs> so they it, cut a bunch of herbs and would put them in these posies and then the ladies would keep them close to their nosy yeah. so so it wouldn't smell so you bad you can't blame them right and then Wendy Johnson uh, she texted in and also we have the sweet box uh, I can never say oh, one yeah sarcococca sarcococca yes oh man that's a, that one's really fragrant yeah, now, so thank doesn't you, that have some little special growing conditions the sarcococca um, well it here yeah. would be light shade, mm-hmm. you know. I wouldn't put it in direct sun. 
uh, good drainage because it's um, you know it's kind of like an azalea. That would be a mm. place to put it. Yeah. Okay, because a long time ago, yeah. I the, do not know who told me this. It didn't work here. Pieris, another one. Pieris japonica. Oh, Pieris, yeah, very yeah. fragrant. Uh, Better have good drainage. White flowers. White flowers. <laughs> white flowers, yeah. yeah. Wow. So there's a lot of things that we can plant for the smell good factor. And most all of them we've mentioned is about almost a full sun plant. So what's some shade ones that smell good? I can't think of them right offhand. Well, Elysium would be one. Because it can it, do the shade. Yeah, Elysium floridanum. Oh, I okay. Are you... Yeah, I wouldn't put I, I wouldn't put the Ocala anise in shade. Is that the I, annual I, one? No, they're both perennial. Oh, I mean, okay. they're both woody shrub. But Elysium floridanum has the darker green leaf. Mm-hmm. It's more open and airy. And when you, you know, if you, even after a rain, you can smell the licorice smell. Uh, if you yeah. t- crush the leaves, it's you know very the, powerful. The anise we're talking about, yeah, yeah. yeah. And anise I was thinking about the alyssum that yeah, uses the bedding yeah. plant, the bedding plant. Alyssum. Oh, the alyssum, the little small like yeah. almost baby's oh, breath. Alyssum, yeah, yeah baby's yeah. breath. Alyssum, uh, well, alyssum, yeah. alyssum. Yeah, and alyssum. Yeah, the other one starts with an I. The shrub does. Alyssum. I L L. Yeah, okay, that makes yeah, me yeah. sense because I'm talking about alyssum, <laughs> and I'm going, y'all, what? That's not what it is because you're to... talking about alyssum. Yeah, I see, completely different. We will see y'all next weekend in the garden. Listen to our podcast.